Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, all these pages of notes. Where do I start? <laughs> this is great. Now, I've got this notebook full of stuff, and I was just looking at it going, oh, boy. Uh, I've been busy this morning editing. I have another WEBY classic interview with Robert Shibley of FIRE, the, uh, uh, the foundation for, I don't know what it is, but a foundation for individual expression, um, FIRE. <laughs> He'll tell me we get there. Anyway, I think it's a, um, it used to be uh, individual rights. Uh, and education, you know, foundation for, there we go, foundation for individual rights and, and education. And somewhere along the way, I think it got changed to the foundation for individual rights and expression. In fact, I don't even know if Robert's still there. I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, I looked him up this morning, but uh, I love doing these classic WEBY interviews because I still have gaps in my schedule. And so I don't like to have two hours in a row without somebody, you know, I'll, all I need is an hour. So if whatever the news is of the day, an hour does me just fine. It's looking for more reports. I've talked to some different people. There's all kinds of options coming. It's great to have for guests. Um, but, uh, but Wednesday and Thursday, I have two blocks together. And next week, we might have uh, um, a bunch of uh, – we might have actually two hours uh, full of, of people from uh, Diane Warner's because uh, she keeps bringing folks to the show, which is really great. Uh, you'd be amazed what's coming. And so some really, really special things are happening. And so she has a guest next week, hopefully two guests next week. And so it's going to get busy. So we might just take up two hours. With, uh, with our election integrity and medical freedom chat. Um, I have a very special guest joining us Tuesday in the 9 o'clock hour. Let me just double-check my calendar here. Can't breathe without a calendar. Can't do anything. Okay, so 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Brandon Straka. Brandon Straka is, is the hashtag walkaway uh, person who was uh, convicted of bogus client, of crimes of, of uh, entrapment and uh, harassment, everything else that the feds did. And he spent some time in solitary. I think he confessed to misdemeanor. So I'm going to ask him about that. I'm, I'm curious to the pressure to, to confess to things that he didn't do. Uh, I guess it, they say, well, if you don't confess to this, then we're going to charge you with, with uh, more serious crimes. Of course, my position would be, okay, go ahead, charge me. I'm not going to confess to something I didn't do, uh, certainly, you know, and you can't make me, <laughs> you know, so that, that's my attitude. Um, so I'll, I'll let you know what happens, you know, after the, after I, I spend my time in, in the gulag, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, as far as for right now, today, where I stand right now is no, I'm not going to confess. Uh, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of resistance is you don't. And if they want to know what uh, what I think and what I'm saying, listen to the show. You know, in fact, the FBI, KGB, DOJ, you know, uh, all those other, whatever names you want to call them. How many, how many uh, intelligence forces have we see? You've got the Stasi, you've got the Gestapo, you've got KGB, uh, you've got, uh, I don't know, Interpol. <laughs> Should we list them there yet? Uh, but there's a bunch of different uh, agencies. Most, most dictatorships, I think all dictatorships, have an internal security state police force to basically take people who disagree with the government and kill them. That's their purpose. And, or that or torture them so that nobody else does it or lock them up forever and put them someplace, labor camps, work camps, places where they die prematurely. That's kind of how it goes with dictatorships. And so the idea that folks want to do that here is abhorrent to most Americans. I, but they just don't think – most Americans still don't think it could happen here even though it already is. And so we're in a cultural revolution. We're in a Marxist takeover. Uh, the whole woke is not woke. It's Marxist. So let, me, um, let, me, let me do uh, another one of my dictionary editions here. So woke – equals Marxism. I think I spoke that a little too loudly. I'll find it on the recording. So wokeism is Marxism. I mean, that's the same thing, right? 
So in other words, Marxism, cultural Marxism, which is there's economic Marxism. In fact, I found a great article. I think I went over it actually. There's a great article that uh, talks about the, the early days of Marxism was economic Marxism. And so what they used to do is they'd say workers of the world unite and, uh, you know, the proletariat will rise up against the aristocracy uh, and uh, the workers will own the means of production and control it and uh, you know, disperse the goods in society. Um, once the workers have the means of production, then they can produce for themselves and, uh, you know, everything will be equal, everything will be shared. You know, true communism means no property, no state. Uh, basically, true communism is anarchy, <laughs> except that it doesn't work that way because someone always wants power. So the power vacuum of, of communism is defeated by those who want absolute power, which is tyranny. And as we've talked about before, tyranny, in fact, if you go to my Substack articles, I talk about graphing uh, the, the graphical version of liberty. You know, where is liberty on the axis of freedom versus uh, on the, on the vertical, excuse me, vertical axis, freedom on the vertical axis and the horizontal axis runs from tyranny to anarchy. Uh, and so where, where are you? Um, tyrannies on the left, you know, Mao, Hitler, <laughs> Stalin, all, the, all the, the worst of the worst dictators. Anarchy is on the right, you know, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the KKK, uh, any disruptive uh, organization that uh, riots and pillages and loots and steals and, you know, basically lawless, no government, completely lawless organizations. Uh, the centrists would be in the middle between tyranny and anarchy. The, the Republicans and Democrats would be between the centrists in the middle uh, and the tyrants, you know, and the founding fathers would be between the centrists in the middle and the anarchists. In other words, just enough laws to keep us free, protect our lives and property, but not enough to, uh, to start controlling our lives. And so centrists want a certain measure of control. <clears throat> Excuse me. Republicans and Democrats want much more control. And, of course, the tyrants want total control. That's kind of how it works. Uh, excuse me. Grab one of those. Uh, I should call it my Rubio break. I need a Rubio water break. I couldn't eat myself, but why? There we go. So I got this huge can, uh, steel can of water beside me. And, uh, you know, before I start the show without it, I panic. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, got to go to commercial. Be right back. So today's show, the title of the show today is well, who's going to be the first to sing like a canary. Uh, and then we've got the Robert Shibley interview in the middle hour. And, of course, we've got CJ. CJ's wellness watch in the third hour. So the first hour is mine. So we're going to chat a little bit. Um, the, um, if you look at the, the great... Uh, ways that things are uncovered. Uh, usually, uh, I mean, Watergate, they had Deep Throat. And so Deep Throat, which was named for a pornographic film starring Linda Lovelace, for all those who don't remember the 70s. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details. Um, but the point is that, that it was so like the code name, Deep Throat. In other words, person that had, had all the knowledge, you know, way down deep, you know, all the deep secrets. That was the alleged thing. But we all know where it really came from, right? Those of us old enough to remember these things. Um, so, so Deep Throat was the person that spilled the beans, was the secret source, was the one that uh, uh, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward would go to, you know, in the dark parking lots and the secret parkages and, you know, the, you know the, the, wherever they did that kind of stuff in Washington, D.C., Deep Throat would meet with them. And I think we found out who it was. I think they, they actually named the person. I could look it up, but, you know, you get the idea, right? So, so one of the better films ever made. Uh, uh, in terms of, of political accuracy, which is kind of surprising for Hollywood, but they did a pretty good job with this, was All the President's Men. And this film was uh, starring uh, Robert Redford uh, and uh, Dustin Hoffman. Of course, they were both much younger. This is back, I think they made it probably the, the late 70s, maybe early 80s, um, but it was based on Watergate. And you had all the, the characters, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, uh, Magruder, um, I've forgotten who played... Uh, yeah, James, the James Dean, not James Dean, uh, John Dean. John Dean was the was the the government, you know, whistleblower, stool pigeon, whatever you want to call him. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy, uh, someone played him. And I think it. Now, what's interesting 
about G. Gordon Liddy. I actually met G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, in fact, he interviewed me because he was a pilot amongst everything else he did. And he really liked my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. And so I, I met G. Gordon Liddy in San Francisco. He was there on a, on a, on a tour, a book tour or something like that. Uh, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's certain people you look into their eyes and you, you, you just see, you know, darkness, <laughs> the blackest eyes I've ever seen uh, was on G. Gordon Liddy. And so when he says, you know, you know, he, you know, he's not going to confirm or deny whether he killed people. <laughs> you can guess. Right. But we're not I'm not going to go. In. I don't know the actual story on that, but uh, he was an interesting character. I'm glad to have met him. I'm glad I've met a lot of the people that I met. I also met Ken Hamblin, the Black Avenger, who also uh, loved my book. And we talked about that. And this is back in the uh, uh, 90s. And so a book comes out. I write my book in 92. It's published in 94. And so I met Gordon Liddy and uh, Ken Hamblin and a bunch of other folks, you know, sometime after that, all as they came through the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I was at the time. So anyway, uh, back to uh, back to the, the stoolies, the, the, the stool pigeons. Oh, yeah. And uh, the movie All the President's Men. It's a great expose. It's actually uh, what's really cool about it is back when The Washington Post was actually a newspaper that reported the news <laughs> that actually went after, you know, the people in power. Now, maybe it was because uh, Richard Nixon was a Republican. I don't know. I have to go back and check the, the Washington Post stories critical of Kennedy. But the, the, if, you're, if you're a good journalist, if you're, if you're a good media, uh, you're always asking questions. And, you know, if you approve of stuff, okay, that's fine. But that's for the editorial pages. And then the op-ed, in other words, the opposite page of the editorial page. That's what op-ed means. Uh, journalistic terms, byline. Uh, if you look at the bottom of an article, you see the byline. Well, the byline is who it's by. <laughs> that's how, you know, that's the, and the line is the, the lines that tell who it's by. That's what a byline is. So all these different things. Uh, deadline is when a thing has to be in so it can hit the press. Of course, with the Internet, it's instantaneous. They can release stuff anytime. So you don't hear about deadlines anymore. And so when a story goes in, goes out in the old days in the newspapers, they used to have to make sure it's correct because once they start, the press is rolling. I mean, literally, the presses are rolling. You know, acres and acres of trees, <laughs> you know, go to make the Sunday New York Times. And, uh, you know, if there's a mistake, it, it, you know, it goes out. It's too late. They have to do a correction a subsequent day. Whereas with the Internet, um, they can take a story and either make it disappear, <laughs> you know, create a new one, but they can edit constantly. So you'll see updates all the time in news stories. So as they get corrections, as they get better information, hopefully the articles are getting better. Uh, or the opposite, of course, is the taking out the good stuff. You, you're never really sure these days. That's why I tend to keep things you know, that I find uh, on the computer. And, uh, of course, once the FBI takes it, then they'll have it all. And uh, I'll see what, the, what comes back. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Hopefully my photographs. But uh, anyway, um, so that was a good film. Another, so there's another Robert Redford film, The Candidate. Uh, Robert Redford was pretty good. And because liberals used to make fun of, of political candidates at one point, even their own, not anymore. The left is that, you know, this, it's like all power. It's amazing how things have changed. And this is why it's so fascinating talking to the younger folks who, uh, you know, they've grown up with political oppression. And a lot of them are conditioned to it and think this is okay. Because on the one hand, they're told this is the, the greatest, freest country on earth, um, which is, is sort of true, but nowhere near as true as it could be. Or nowhere, we're nowhere near as good as we could be. Are we the freest country? Not anymore. Not under, not, you can't be a free country when you have an illegal government. I mean, that's just obvious. Um, uh, but the principles, the potential is the, to be the freest country uh, on earth by far because of our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, uh, and uh, various state constitutions and the attitude of Americans, you know, land of the free, home of the brave. Uh, now we're the land of the conformist, the, you know, the home of the Marxist. Uh, but that has to change, and it can change. So we've got the potential to be the greatest, freest country ever. We're not right now. And so that's, uh, that's what Action Radio is all about, is changing that. Anyway, so 
in, in all the great scandals, there's usually one person who knows everything who either acting as a whistleblower or acting as uh, a government informant. I mean, you know, a real one who informs on the government, not, not for the government, like Ray Epps, things like that. So there's several scandals out there, and the, the tide is turning. You know, I know they're all saying, well, it's the Wuhan lab. That's where the COVID came from. No, it probably came from the Defense Department, the CIA, uh, the National Institute of Health. Uh, it was a bioweapon where they engineered both a vaccine and a virus to work together in a symbiotic relationship, much like epoxy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my new metaphor is epoxy. So a binary weapon is, uh, is like epoxy. And epoxy is made by taking two inert chemicals, which by themselves don't really do anything, but you put them together and they, they, they form this bond and are solid as, as a rock. Okay? So that's, that's like a binary chemical. A binary chemical agent is where you take one gas that's you know pretty innocuous and another gas that's pretty innocuous. You put them together and they're deadly. <laughs> okay, so so you think of of COVID, the whole COVID system as a binary biological weapon. So the virus by itself, you know, ninety nine point you know nine percent of Americans, yeah, mild symptoms, maybe moderate symptoms, maybe no symptoms. It's really in the grand scheme of things. I was sick for a couple of weeks. And once I got a couple of days rest, I was fine. So I probably could have knocked it out in a couple of days with maybe like three or four days after getting it. That's like a bad cold, okay, uh, except I coughed a lot more. So, so just think of a bad cold with your worst cough, and that's pretty much my experience with COVID. Uh, easy to get over. You know, diseases happen. Viruses happen. Uh, they're not supposed to be man-made, though. <laughs> that's the thing. So nobody rec- nobody's body recognized it because it's a brand-new organism. And then the, the second part of the binary is, is the, the vaccine, which isn't a vaccine. And so, you, you know, Alex Jones, I got to look back at his stuff because he actually called this out. I remember it very specifically. He said there's a binary weapon coming out, a binary bioweapon coming out. So I'm not, I'm not taking credit for this. Uh, this is actually his work uh, from four years ago, back when he was good, before he got completely discredited, probably over this. So he said, look, oh, I hit my microphone. He says, look, there's, 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 there's something going on here. And this is what I'm hearing. He says there's a... There's two, two phases. One is the disease and one is the, there's going to be a vaccine for it. And this is before we knew what COVID was. And so we're listening. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'll be watching for that. You know. And then when it came out, it's like, oh, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, but that's how it works. So the reason that people get COVID after they get jabbed is because the jab is designed to give them COVID. It's designed to give them blood clots. It's basically uh, it's designed to kill a lot of people, but it works in conjunction with the virus. So the virus and the vaccine are engineered together as a binary bioweapon uh, to do the most damage possible, but you need both components. If you only have one component, if you, if you have the jab and you never get COVID, well, the jab is bad enough by itself. I don't know. You know, I mean, I can't say that people won't get myocarditis, heart attacks, uh, strokes, and die, you know, much like I think Brian Sicknick, uh, the Capitol Hill police officer, um, got killed through a bio, um, through the jab. Um, so that's my, that's my guess. Still looking into that, but it's hard to know because he was cremated so fast. So it's not like we can go back and check, unfortunately. Anyway. So that's how that works. We've got a binary weapon. So that's, the, that's one, one major scandal out there. The other major scandal, of course, is the 2020 election was stolen. And I'm listening to more and more people. There was a guy named uh, Jay Valentine uh, with Emerald Robinson yesterday documenting how literally you know, tens of thousands of votes are simply erased and replaced with other votes. And the whole reason that the Democrats want all the illegals out there uh, is so that they can register them to vote illegally, harvest their ballots, and make them do whatever they want. So if, the, if you don't vote, the Democrats will vote for you, <laughs> you know, so that, that's their policy. Don't vote. You know, that's, that's really what they're saying. When they talk about voter suppression, stuff, they don't want people voting. Uh, they just want people to be registered so that they can, they can vote for them. I mean, that, that's the strategy. That's how the, the 2024 election is going to be stolen. You know, so I, what I don't understand is why the Democrats didn't steal the House 
in 2022 because they're going to cause them a lot of problems unless they did that to prove that uh, elections can't be stolen. The Republicans can actually win, but uh, they've already got the fix because the Senate's not going to approve of anything good. Uh, the House will, but the House can't do anything by themselves. What the House, can, uh, you know, as far as legislation, but what they can do is hold up budget items. They can defund anything they want, simply not include it in the budget. And so the House, with the power of the purse, can take all these agencies. They can take the FBI, most of the DOJ. Uh, they can take all the climate change nonsense. Uh, they can take, take uh, national health, uh, the, the health Nazis uh, in the government. Of course, Dr. Fascist is left, but the health Nazis are still there. And just simply not fund them. Well, and the Senate can't put money in that isn't there. <laughs> you know, it has to come from the House. Now, they can, they can, appro- they can put money into the appropriations bills, and the House can say pound sand. We're not voting for this. So the power of negative is always stronger than the power of positive. And so the money not spent is much more powerful than the money spent. So the House just says, no, we're not going to spend money on this. Uh, I went over an article earlier on the Bolin Amendment. And the Bolin Amendment said that, uh, you know, Congress can put stipulations of where money cannot be spent. And that's how the the Contras, you know, Reagan's little private army uh, in Nicaragua, funded by uh, illegal arms sales to Iran uh, or Iraq. Was it Iraq or Iran? I think it was Iran. Oh, yeah, the Iran-Contra affair. So, so the Reagan administration totally screwed up, illegally sold weapons to Iran. Ollie North takes the money from those illegal sales and uses it to fund his illegal army in Nicaragua, the Contras. You can't do that. Okay. All you all Reagan supporters, yeah, that was a dumb idea. It was an illegal action. It was stupid. I mean, Ollie North has a great military record, but, you know, as a politician, he sucks. <laughs> he did some really bad things. Okay. And got called out and kicked out and all that kind of stuff. All right. Anyway, so... What are our scandals? We've got a stolen election. We know it was stolen. Uh, we've got uh, COVID. You know, we talked about that. That's, that's a whole, the bioweapon. Uh, we've got January 6th, which uh, Tucker Carlson is now coming out with, uh, the, the articles, the, um, the video, which is really funny when the deep state and the White House says, well, this is not true. They're, they're, they're spreading out misinformation. It's a freaking video. It's a security tape. It's an unedited security tape. It's the only thing about January 6th that is true. Everything else they're saying is a lie. So we got that. We've got uh, Ukraine, which is the deep state uh, money laundering bank, uh, the bioweapon play toy. Um, and it used to be, I don't know if they ever had tourism there. I guess Odessa. Come to Odessa. I should do like a little travelogue. Come to Ukraine. You know, watch the missiles flying by. <laughs> you know, um, in my, my, my crazier moments, I might do something like that. Uh, but there's, there's a, you know, the Ukraine. You know, the Democrat money, the Clinton Foundation, uh, the Democrats, Republicans, the deep state. The, basically, it's the piggy bank. So what they do is they appropriate billions of U.S. dollars. In other words, your tax dollars. They send it to Ukraine. The money doesn't get spent on weapons, doesn't get spent on anything. It goes to the, uh, the Ukraine Clinton Foundation, you know, money bank, <laughs> gets laundered, comes back to Democrats and Republicans to spend, you know, as they see fit. So it's really a campaign slush fund country. So the whole country is corrupt. That's a scandal. Uh, and the last one, of course, is the DOG, DOJ KGB. It's easier to say FBI KGB. So the DOJ KGB. This is where our Department of Justice is basically the Ministry of Internal Security, and their job is to suppress all dissent to the illegal uh, branch and coup that's illegally op- you know, occupying the White House. So we have dedicated folks who are dedicated to maintaining an illegal government with force of arms, guns, you know, brutality, uh, forced confessions, the judicial system, jail, imprisonment, political prisoners, you know, and that's why they call it the D.C. Gulag, which I'm proud to say we started calling it the D.C. Gulag shortly after January 6th when the folks were first put in there. So Action Radio, uh, I'm really happy to say that our terminology is being adopted everywhere 
um, unfortunately, long after we've come up with it, but that's generally, you know, we're on the cutting edge when it comes to, you know, correct terms. So you take COVID, you take January 6th, you take the stolen election, you take Ukraine, and you take the weaponization through the DOJ KGB, and you've got some major scandals. These are huge. And it's all falling apart. People know the COVID jab uh, is ridiculously dangerous. Uh, and they know that COVID itself wasn't that big a problem. Everybody's been exposed. You know, Peter McCullough, um, Dr. McCullough said that 94% of the, of the country's already had COVID. That's more than herd immunity. Okay, so COVID's done. Uh, has been for a long time. Oh, sure, people will still get it, just like flu and colds and things like that. And they're still going to die from it. Um, but they're at a point where they're going to die from something anyway. I mean, we, you know, we all get to that point. Hopefully, I'll be able to accomplish a lot before I get to that point. That's why I'm doing this now. <laughs> you know, don't wait, Greg. Um, but, uh, but that's something to think about. So, uh, like I said, COVID, January 6th, the stolen election, Ukraine, and the DOJ KGB. If I'm missing anything, let me know. I think those are the major scandals that are just ripe for the stool pigeon, the canary. You know? So who's going to sing like a canary? You know, who's going to get out of jail free card? So that's my question. I'm, I'm seriously looking for names. Who do you think is going to come forward and say, yep, <laughs> everything you said was true. It's, uh, it's all stolen. You know, COVID was never a problem. <laughs> you know, it's a bioweapon developed by the DOD, the Department of Defense and the CIA. Uh, Ukraine actually is the, the deep state money laundering bank, and they have bioweapons and everything else. We could have stopped the war by not putting uh, Ukraine in NATO. Yep, that's all true. You know, all the things that we know are true. Uh, climate change, yep, total farce. <laughs> yeah, that's not real at all. You know, uh, CO2 is wonderful for the environment. You know, the plants love it. That's what they, that's what they use to breathe. Uh, the major uh, greenhouse gas, of course, is water vapor, which we know more colloquially as clouds. <laughs> so anyway, so climate change. Let's put that in there, too. So now we've got one, two, three, four, five. We've got six, you know, the six scandals. I, I need a seventh one because we need, like, the, you know, the seven deadly sins. I need the seven deadly scandals. So COVID, J6, stolen election, Ukraine, DOJ. Let's call wokeism. Let's make that the seventh one. Okay, so wokeism. Wokeism, which is really wokeism, Marxism. Da, 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 da. Wokeism. And this one include all the things like the Bank of America, you know, tracking gun owners and, and all the other kind of stuff that's going on. So wokeism. So we'll make that, I don't know if that's a word or not. It's a word now. <laughs> this is what I hate about my computer. The spell check's really good most times, but when I try and make up a word, it, it doesn't seem to let me, uh, you know, get creative. Wokeism. Okay, fine. Just live with a computer. You know, fine. So now we got seven. We got seven scandals. The seven deadly scandals, COVID, January 6th, the stolen election, Ukraine, the DOJ, KGB, climate change, and wokeism. So the question is, who, and this, these, all, these are the things that are ruining our country right now, uh, creating a tyrannical state, a Marxist state, uh, and those are the components of it. So the question is, who's going to come forward? Because the, the noose is tightening, as they say. The exposure is coming out. Fauci ducked out. He's retired already. He thinks he's escaped. No. Uh, but he's not going to sing like a canary because they're not going to hold jail over the old man because they're going to feel sympathetic. You know, yeah, you can't hold it over Dr. Fauci. Yeah, I think I, I think I finally figured out my Fauci voice. Yeah, here we go. So you're not going to prosecute the old guy, even though he killed like a million people here and about uh, seven million people worldwide and made billions of dollars. They sucked away in the, you know, like the Grand Caymans. You know, he's got an account there. So don't be surprised if Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fascist, you know, takes off and goes to the Caribbean somewhere, some non-extraditable country and kind of like sits there for a long time and talks about masks, yeah, and uh, speaks in vague terms. And he'll still be on the media from some place that he can't be brought back from, yeah. Anyway, so there's my Dr. Fascist. Uh, I kind of like that. I'm going to do that more often. <laughs> they just came, you know, I, I don't know, it's a hobby. Um, so, so he's not going to sing. Brandon, 
Brandon's not going to sing. Brandon's not going to confess. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He actually believes the propaganda. Uh, Obama, she's not going to come forward. Michelle's not going to come forward. She wants to be president. I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, she, you know, uh, you know, even if she runs illegally and, and uh, they try to have the election stolen from her, I don't, you know, unless that's the only way she's going to get elected, uh, because her, because her stance on everything are terrible. She hates this country, said so, you know, publicly. That's going to get played over and over again, you know. So, uh, so that's the show. So uh, she's not going to come forward and say anything. So, but they, these are the people causing the problem. So, who's going to come forward? Who has the most to lose? Um, by being prosecuted for, for being part of, of the coup of COVID, January 6th, the stolen election, Ukraine, the DOJ, KGP, climate change, or wokeism. Who is going to be the victim who's going to come forward and say, yep, it's all true. Everything you folks believe, all your conspiracy theories were true all along. They were never theories. They're accurate. You know, uh, the vaccine's a bioweapon. You know, COVID, uh, the virus is real. We created it. You know, it's all, but the government response was all about Marxism and control. January 6th, yep, the whole thing was staged in order to prevent the, the Trump electors from uh, uh, taking their, their rightful place, uh, and we had to push the brand electors, you know, and someone's going to say, yep, Ukraine, yep, everything, you, everything you've been told, yep, money laundering, you know, bioweapons, uh, complete corruption, Zelensky's, a, you know, a, a stooge of Obama, you know, all, that's all true, <laughs> DOJ, KGB, yep, that's the Ministry of Internal Security, everything you've heard about them, yep, the operators were there January 6th, that's all true, too, climate change, no, CO2, CO2 is plant food. No, that's not a problem. And wokeism. Yeah, that's, that's Marxism. Yep, we were always planning to uh, take away your freedoms, destroy the Constitution, destroy the Bill of Rights. Who's going to come for it with, with, under penalty of jail? Okay, because it's still illegal to, to steal your government. <laughs> you know, it actually is called an insurrection. We do have laws uh, against taking rights away. Title 18, Section 241, Conspiracy Against Rights. And 242, Taking Rights Under Color of Law. So the, this federal law, they throw people in jail for a long time. So who's going to come forward? You know, I mean, the Trump folks, they're not going to be believed right now. <clears throat> you know, is, is it going to be a media person? Uh, maybe someone, you know, who, who could be facing jail in the media? I mean, I'm, st- I'm just wildly speculating right now. There's a bunch of, uh, of people, but it's usually a government person. So is it going to be a voluntary whistleblower? Is it going to be someone under coercion? Is it someone given immunity? Um, I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about, and then I'll take a break here. The, if you remember Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz talked to uh, a woman from the FBI. She was like uh, undersecretary, deputy, vice. She was not the top person, but she was fairly high up uh, in upper management of the FBI. And Ted Cruz asked her in a hearing, you know, was Ray Epps an operative, and how many operatives did you have in the FBI um, at, uh, at January 6th? You know, and we know that we know what they were there for. We've, we've reported on it since January 6th. You know, they were there to upset the proceedings to make sure that the states that had Brandon uh, electors and Trump electors, you know, voted through the Brandon electors without challenge. That's what January 6th was all about. Okay. Speaking of which, I'd love to see the surveillance tape of what happened under the Capitol. We know what happened on top of the Capitol. Well, I got to find a record scene, Bob. Uh, I want to get back on the show. You know, what happened under the Capitol? Christina, I'm just making a note to myself here. Let's put video. So we shall see. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully we have friends that can, uh, I mean, we need friends to talk to Tucker Carlson. Actually, I do have a friend that could probably talk to, Car- talk to Tucker Carlson. Uh, I'm not going to say who that is yet. <laughs> just because. Got to keep some secrets. All right. So, so, that's, uh, so that's a video I'd love to see. 
All right, so, so getting back to this, this issue of what uh, Ted Cruz said, and the, and the woman said, you know, I can't answer the question. And I'm thinking, now why would she say that? Okay, I mean, I, I, know, I know she had to say that, but I'm wondering why. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, going through the, the logic and reason filter, why would somebody say when being asked directly, you know, did you have operatives at January 6th? Which, what he's basically asking is, are you a bunch of traitors <laughs> at the FBI? Uh, did you overthrow the government? That's what he's asking without asking it. And so she knows that. So she can't say, well, yeah, we're traitors. <laughs> yeah, we overthrew the government because then her career is over, her pension's gone, and she goes to jail, hopefully. <laughs> we still have, a, uh, still have a, a decent government law and order system, which I'm not convinced, obviously. Uh, but that's what would happen if she fessed up. So that would be confessing to treason. She, if she lies and says, no, we had no FBI agents there, nobody involved, no informants, no mercenaries from foreign countries. We had nobody there at all. And the, we didn't hire Black Lives Matter and Antifa to overthrow the, uh, the proceedings and stop them while the Trump supporters were still walking you know, from the Capitol because the speech started an hour late. I still have a suspicion that Trump knew this was going to happen, started his speech an hour late. So he could say, look, the Trump supporters were still walking over when you folks in Antifa and Black Lives Matter and the KKK and any other Democrat operative, um, the government, the FBI informants, uh, the mercenaries, whoever else was there, uh, went, in, uh, went through the open doors that the Capitol Hill police opened up so they could stop the proceedings and stop the challenge to the Brandon electors. Again, that's what January 6th was all about. So we'll see. Anyway, so she, woman, before Congress, Ted Cruz says, well, how many operatives did you have? And was, Ted, was Ray Epps an operative? She says, I can't answer that question. Well, if she answered yes, like I said, if she answered yes, well, we had uh, you know, 25 operatives there, and uh, they were there to uh, stop the proceedings in Congress and overthrow the government. She says that, she goes to jail. She says, no, we didn't have any operatives there. No, we were completely clean. We were simply observers. We were just trying to do our, our constitutional duty and, and keep law and order you know, while the, there's a riot going on. She can't say that either because that's a lie. And she's under oath. You know, so that would be perjury. So her choices are treason and perjury. <laughs> okay? So if she tells the truth, it's treason, you know, even though we don't have a declared war. So it's like metaphorical treason. In other words, but it is insurrection. So it is overthrowing the U.S. government. So she's either guilty of conspiring to overthrow the U.S. government or she's guilty of perjury for lying to Congress, both of which come with jail terms and massive fines, loss of pension, loss of job, the whole bit. So the only answer she can give is I can't answer the question. Now, to me, what I would have said, if I were Ted Cruz and I were sitting there, I would have gone through this exact discussion I'm going through now, only shorter because they only have five minutes. I would have said, I would have said, it's obvious you can't answer the question in the affirmative that those people, you know, were working with the FBI because that would be insurrection, overthrowing the government. And you can't say they weren't involved because you're under oath and that would be perjury. He says, so I understand why you're giving the answer. You can't answer the question. However, in giving the answer, you can't answer the question. You actually proved that you're guilty of both insurrection, overthrowing the government, treason, and perjury. <laughs> because when you, you could have answered the question. So the reason she's guilty of perjury is because she could have answered the question. She knows damn well that Ray Epps and a bunch of folks, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all these other people, all the Democrat operatives, or actually the deep state operatives, because so the Republicans are in on it too. Just look at Mitch McConnell. Um, but it proves that they were in on it. Okay, so she knows they're in on it. So she can't say they weren't. That'd be perjury. Uh, and then she can't, but she can't say they are either, you know, because that would be uh, treason. So, so by saying she won't answer the question, uh, she actually is guilty of both treason and perjury because you know, she lies. She's lying because she knows they were there. And she's lying because she would be admitting to overthrowing the government. Okay. So that's why they, you know, and the problem is Ted Cruz didn't press him on, I, her, press her on. I'm surprised he didn't press her on that. 
you know, Ted, you're supposed to be brilliant. You're supposed to be a, a constitutional attorney. He's argued before the Supreme Court, which has very little to do with the Constitution most of the time, surprisingly enough. But, you know, that, that's a pretty basic argument. You know, if you tell the truth, you're, you're, in, you're guilty of an insurrection overthrowing the government. If you lie, you're guilty of perjury. If you say you can't answer the question, you're guilty of both an insurrection and perjury. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we call a confession. <laughs> you know, so she self-confessed. By not answering the question, she answered the question for both cases. And, and Cruz didn't press her on that. I'm like, Cruz, Ted, you know, this is why I didn't become president, because you, you held back when you should have gone forward. That's the, that line from Richard Gere in uh, – he's about to run the gauntlet. You know, and this is in the, one of my favorite movies, First Night. A lot of good sword fighting, great romance. You know, it's kind of fun. A lot of swashbuckling and adventure. Uh, anyway, but there's a great line in there, you know, where, he, where Sean Connery says, ah, so why did you run the gauntlet? Most men can't do that. Money penny. Money penny wasn't there yet. You know, and Richard Gere says, you know, I, because I went forward when other men would have held back. And that's basically true. Anyway, take a quick break here play a couple things and come back with some intellectually philosophical arguments. Uh, I think I've made my case, you know, that uh, someone's going to sing, you know, because once the, uh, the, the, the persecutions prosecute, well, the prosecutions start, once it gets kind of tough out there, once people realize their pensions are on the line, someone's going to crack. Somebody's going to come forward. Somebody's going to be the, the, the John Dean. Someone's going to be the, you know, the, the whistleblower. Someone's going to be the deep throat. Somebody who doesn't want to go to jail, who doesn't want to be charged with perjury, who actually believes in the Constitution, maybe, somebody's going to come forward. The only question is who and when. Be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Okay, I don't know what happened. Um, on my headphones, that's been terrible. So I'm not sure. Uh, of course, I can't really check it until the podcast. Let me play something else here. Uh, let see if that works. That sounded awful. It might have sounded perfectly fine to you. Uh, we'll find out in a minute. Let's try something else here. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. 
Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Joe Biden's Dark Winter no freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. All right, so let's get back uh, operation here. Just me, it looks like. Uh, live chat is open. If you want to contact us on live chat, just sign in and uh, type away. That's open around the world. We also have our Skype line, which is open around the world also. Uh, but you do have to register ahead of time so that uh, I, can, I can screen and get yourself an account with that as well. And so we'll know who's uh, calling us, uh, and then we'll get you on the line. 
Um, same thing if you're a new caller, first uh, first time caller, please check in at live chat, first name, location, you know what you want to talk about, uh, and then I can uh, play something and do a quick call screening. Looking for a producer, uh, call screener, and so hopefully that'll uh, that'll happen at some point soon. We're amazing things are happening. Again, we've got Brandon Straka coming next week, and we're making all kinds of connections, working our way closer to the Trump campaign, uh, such that I hope we become you know partners with them. And uh, I want Trump's endorsement. I'll be honest. I want to, I'm, I want to present our bills and, and our citizen legislature to President Trump and ask for his endorsement. Because he's never he endorses candidates usually, but he's never endorsed a radio show uh, or or a concept like this because there is no concept like this. And so that's that's where we're going with this. So we'll see if we can do that. In the meantime, we got to about uh, well, let me see. I've got I've got time actually. So it's eight it's seven forty right now here at Central Time uh, in the Panhandle of Florida in the great city of Milton on the Blackwater River uh, near Pensacola. And so we're broadcasting worldwide here uh, live right now. A um, couple of announcements. We've got uh, Jen Clark in Australia. So Jen Clark's one of the freedom fighters. She organized the truck convoy from Melbourne to Canberra. Uh, I contacted her at some point along the way. Actually, I contacted a lot of people looking for connections in these different countries to say, hey, we've got a citizen legislature. Can I help you? <laughs> Yeah. And she wrote back, yeah, you can actually. And so we, we wrote uh, the Australian Bill of Individual Rights. And things are starting to heat up over that because of the, the oppression and fascism that Australia went through. Uh, New Zealand went through even worse. And we got contacts there, too. But uh, Australia went through some massive, uh, horrible dictatorship stuff. They had helicopters with infrared sensors, you know, looking at houses, going house to house to, house to see if people had too many family members there. <laughs> this is a free country? <laughs> no, it's not. And so this, this ridiculous idea that, uh, that the government can declare a pandemic and then take all your rights away is absurd. First of all, how do you know it's a real pandemic? Secondly, how do you know they're taking your rights away for something that's good? And thirdly, they can't take your rights away. You know, who's to say that uh, individual actions are, you know, aren't, uh, aren't beneficial or, or certainly not harmful? And the thing is, it's still your choice. You know, it's your choice. I mean, just as you have the choice to, to smoke, <laughs> if you want to, I think it's dumb, but people do. You know, if in the face of a pandemic, you you know what, I, th- I think this is wrong. I really don't care. I'm still going to live my life. I'm still going to keep my business open. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to go about my daily affairs normally. Then then go ahead. Okay. I mean, that's part of being a free citizen. But the, especially, though, in this situation where the government was completely wrong, it's a, it, COVID was a bioweapon. We, we know the whole story of it. Everything they did hurt the situation and made it worse. So why would you, why would you comply with the government, you know, who takes away your rights, which is something they can't do? totally oppresses you, which is something they can't do, except illegally. Uh, all, all, and, and all of it, they were wrong. <laughs> okay? So that's the thing that, you know, people say, well, the government should be able to act in the public interest. Well, who's to say they ever act in the public interest? They can say they're acting in the public interest. doesn't mean they're acting in the public interest. They're acting in their interest. You know, COVID was their interest, their power, their concentration of power, their centralization of power. Nothing to do, you know, nothing to do with, with helping us. So this is, why, uh, this is why the Constitution can never be suspended. This is why your rights can never be taken away, because the government uses pretenses to gain more power uh, at your own expense. You know, the solution to COVID was freedom. You know, First Amendment, free information, free exchange of information, doctors reporting what worked, and then other doctors going, hmm, that makes sense. <laughs> that would have stopped COVID in a few months. Herd immunity, not by vaccine, but, but just by natural immunity, which works better than anything else. Okay, you know, God gave us a great immune system, which works until it doesn't work. And then we pass on, you know, give life to the next generation. That's how it goes. 
you know, so, so deal with the natural order of things. Anyway, let's put a little uh, news intro, and I'll be right back with a couple of uh, philosophical articles on government. We're going to go back to Aristotle. We're going to go back to the original uh, thoughts on politics from the intellectual uh, takeout, and be right back. You know, I should really do more work with uh, ancient uh, history, philosophy, culture, uh, the Roman Republic. I need to study that, you know, how it devolved into Caesars, and then, of course, it got taken over by the barbarians. That's kind of where we are now. <laughs> we're, we're in the process of, of the Caesar to barbarian period. Uh, we're still in the Caesar period, the dictators, uh, the, the, the horrible, corrupt the dictators that have no idea what they're doing, uh, being run by people behind the scenes. That would be, you know, Brandon. So Intellectual Takeout, one of my favorite uh, websites, and they send me all kinds of cool stuff. So it's Intellectual Takeout, you know, with a box of Chinese food. <laughs> that, that's, their, that's their logo. It's kind of cool. So we've got uh, in their philosophy section, I found Aristotle's six forms of government. So let's go back to the ancient Greek and see what he has to say. Uh, he, uh, the article is written by Stephen Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. The date is March 7th, 2023. So it's now March 9th, two days ago. So pretty recent stuff, even though the, the subject, the, the person is, is uh, quite a bit older. He says, which forms of government are best? I know the answer to that. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Uh, he says, philosophers have sought to answer this question for millennia. That would be thousands of years for those that uh, have a public school education. Few, however, have done so with the clarity and precision of Aristotle. In politics, that would be something he wrote, the Athenian philosopher provides a simple yet insightful schema S-C-H-E-M-A, as part of his investigation of the best regime. Well, the, the fact that he said regime already clouds my, my judgment of this person, but it's still an interesting article, so here we go. He argues that there are six regimes overall, but that only three are correct. What makes a regime correct? In Aristotle's conception, those regimes, which I guess he means form of government, but I think of regime in a derogatory sense, so I'm not, I'm not with him on his characterization of a government system as a regime, uh, a system would make more sense, but we'll, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. He says, what makes, what makes a regime correct? In Aristotle's conception, those regimes which look to the common advantage are correct regimes according to what is unqualifiably just, while those which look only to the advantage of the rulers are errant and are deviations from the correct regimes. In other words, a regime is correct only if it serves the interests of society overall and not just its ruling elite. Here's his fatal flaw. He forgot the word individual. <laughs> a regime is only correct if it protects the rights and the property and the lives of individuals so individuals can prosper such that they are not victims of the group or the majority or groupthink, and that's how society progresses. Society only progresses when the society protects the individuals of that society. That's me. So I don't know whether I'm correcting Aristotle or I'm correcting the author of this uh, article. Probably the, the author of this article, but let's let that go for now and keep going. And I like these articles. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, just because I disagree with it doesn't mean I don't like it. Uh, to me, it's an intellectual challenge that uh, has to be met. So that's why I'm doing it. He says the first correct regime is kingship. That's K-I-N-G-S-H-I-P, otherwise known as a monarchy. Uh, he says, which occurs with a single ruler governs wisely in the common interests. That would be the so-called benevolent dictator. <laughs> Doesn't exist. You want to talk about an oxymoron? It's like jumbo shrimp. 
Benevolent dictator? Oh, please. Anyway, single ruler governs wisely in the common interest. Okay, again, the common interest is individuals. Individual decisions made without coercion uh, constitutes the, the common interest. So the common interest can only be determined by the sum total of the individual decisions made without coercion uh, or enforcement. That's what the common interest is, according to me. According to Aristotle, let's keep going. Aristotle refers, this is the article, Aristotle refers to kingship as the first and most divine form of regime. For that reason, its deviant counterpart, tyranny, must necessarily be the worst. So kingship, in other words, the benevolent monarch, the monarch who, uh, like Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, you know, proclaiming things in the general interest. Yeah, I don't think that's possible, but that's the, except for Solomon. <laughs> for, the, for the rest of the folks, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, then he says, uh, Aristotle defines tyranny as monarchy with a view to the advantage of the monarch. When a single ruler governs for himself at the expense of the people who are ruled unwillingly, Aristotle says, no free person would willingly tolerate this sort of rule. Well, of course not. <laughs> dictatorships don't care if you're willing to tolerate the rules. They enforce it upon you. That's what a dictatorship is. So let's keep going. Aristotle is, the, uh, Aristotle is, oh, excuse me, my mistake. Aristocracy is the second correct regime. <laughs> oh, really? This form of government entails the rule of the virtuous few in the common interest. Okay, so that would be Plato's Republic. All right. Plato, Plato was pretty much a screw up as far as I'm concerned. When he talked about, you know, the rule of the good, the good people, the virtuous people, in other words, the elite, right? <laughs> you know, uh, the elite who believe they're virtuous. And this is, this is the fatal flaw of Plato's Republic, is that the elite believe they're the elite and therefore they're acting in the public interest. Not true. They're just as bad as the ruler. They're acting in their interest at the expense of the people who they consider cogs in the wheel. So I think that's not a correct regime at all. I think it's, uh, you know, basically it's an aristocracy uh, is ruled by the few, you know, and that's, you can't have rule. It's like the rule of law. Well, that's, that's an incorrect statement. There's no such thing as the rule of law because laws don't rule. Governments don't rule. People are not ruled. Therefore, you can't have the rule of law. You can only have duly passed laws under the Constitution in a republic enforced equally uh, and defended against uh, by the, the rights of due process. So much for the rule of law. What else can I get dismissed? I'm on a roll today. Anything else I should dismiss in, in terms of common, uh, common verbiage that uh, is completely inaccurate? Well, we'll keep going. Okay, back to the article. Aristocracy, we said that. Aristotle argues that aristocracy would be more choiceworthy for cities than kingship. Whether the office brings power with it or not, provided it is possible to find a number of persons who are similar. All right, so you group all the people in the cities together, you rule over all them by an aristocrat. So it sounds like feudalism to me, <laughs> which came you know, several hundred years later. He says oligarchy is the deviant form of aristocracy, and Aristotle describes it as that in which those who are well off and few in number have the offices. Well, Pretty much what's going on today in Washington, right? The philosopher argues that oligarchs, like tyrannies, are short-lived regimes. But he also writes that an oligarchy marked by concord, I guess that's good stuff, is not easily ruined from within. I'll have to look up concord. In other words, if something is concordant, I guess it's agreeable. He says the third deviant regime, democracy, there we go, <laughs> now, now, now you're talking. The third deviant regime, democracy, is one in which the poor masses rule for their own benefit at the expense of the wealthy. Well, that's interesting. The Athenian writes, that would be Aristotle, democracy exists when the free and poor, being a majority, have authority to rule. 
And although democracy has a more positive connotation in today's world, Aristotle viewed it as deviant because it is unjust to the wealthy and successful. Well, democracy only has a, a more um, positive connotation in today's world because they lie about it. Okay? A lynch mob is a democracy. Ruled by the majority. You're guilty. Don't need no stinking trial. Don't need, don't need no badges. Don't need trial. Don't need due process. Don't need search warrant. It's okay. You know, we, do, we have news. We have no sentry. You're guilty. That's a democracy. You know, the, the majority vote, right? They don't have to do any due process. So the whole purpose of a democracy is to take the majority of people to suppress the rest of the people, the minority of the people. That's what a democracy does. Because, uh, in fact, the, a society is destroyed when the bottom 51% of income earners realize that they have the majority and can vote themselves the, the top 49% income. And that's exactly what's happening now. That's why those in the top 49% pay all the tax and those in the bottom 51% pay none, but they're convinced that the, they're, they're, they're paying the fair share uh, and the rich people aren't paying their fair share when the rich people are paying almost all the tax and uh, the folks that are the majority are not because of the, they're the majority and they can, uh, if the government wants to get elected, they have to appeal to those people by, by taking away uh, all their, their financial responsibilities for keeping the country going. <laughs> you know, that's a democracy. Democracy on a jury. Well, you know, five Supreme Court's a democracy, right? Five, four decisions, you know, majority rules. Well, that's stupid. Supreme Court decisions should be unanimous, just like a jury. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Well, I had to write that down. I like that. Should. Big, big red circle around that. That'd be an interesting bill. Oh, yeah. Change the Constitution. Uh, That'd be a great amendment. Should. Well, you'll never get agreement by all 12 justices or nine justices. Okay, great. Then don't take the case. Then the case is moot. Then the case goes to the lower courts, and we'll figure out another way to decide it. Maybe it should go to Congress. Maybe it shouldn't go to the court at all. If it's, if it's not that obvious, you know, should Supreme – maybe I'll do a show on this. Should Supreme – that's a good Jonathan question. Court opinions. In other words, why can they have a five to four majority and impose Roe v. Wade and kill millions of babies across this country, and yet a jury cannot convict a, a person of, of shoplifting unless all 12 agree? That, that seems, well, you know what that is? That's not equitable. <laughs> There's no equity there. <laughs> okay? There's no equity between the jury that has to rule, but that has to make a decision um, unanimously, and the Supreme Court, which can do it by majority vote. There's no equity there. When you talk about rich and powerful, I like this idea. Should Supreme Court opinions be unanimous? Huh. So how are you going to convince the liberals and the conservatives to agree on a decision? Well, you probably can't. That would result in a hung jury. <laughs> so in other words, or a mistrial. So in other words, why can't the Supreme Court have hung juries and mistrial? Well, think about it. They don't have, always have to come to a decision. If they can't reach a unanimous decision, then that would be a hung court. <laughs> you know, uh, it would be a mis, uh, not a mistrial, but a miscase. Sorry, can't do it. If you can't reach a unanimous decision, then we've got a problem. doesn't mean there won't be dissenting opinions and other things, but uh, yeah. I think Supreme Court uh, opinions have to be unanimous. Oh, that would be fascinating. See the things we come up with on this show? All right. What else we got here? Oligarchy. Let's go. Oligarchy is... Um, excuse me. Okay. Back to oligarchy. Oligarchy is the deviant form of aristocracy. And Aristotle describes it as that in which those who are well off and few in number have the offices. In other words, you're paying, you know, so, so if you're an oligarchy, in other words, you're, you're the elite and you go to the right schools, you make all the money, uh, whether you're justified or not, and you get to, to rule all, everybody else. Great. He says the philosopher argues that oligarchies, that would be Aristotle again, like tyrannies, are short-lived regimes. Mm, not necessarily. 
But he also writes that an oligarchy marked by concord is not easily ruined from within. What's that word again? Concord. Okay. He says the third deviant regime, democracy, is one in which – oh, I think I read this. Okay. I must have skipped down. I'm sorry. My apologies. The third deviant regime, democracy, is one in which the poor masses rule for their own benefit at expense of the wealthy. I, I wrote this – I read this already, but let's just go over it. Then I can give the, the rest of it context. He says uh, – Aristotle says democracy exists when the free and poor, being a majority – well, who says the, the poor are free, but that's another story – have authority to rule. Okay. He says, and although democracy has a more positive connotation, uh, Aristotle viewed it as deviant. Okay, and then he says, of polity, that's P-O-L-I-T-Y, the third correct regime, Aristotle writes, I guess that's populism, right? He writes, Aristotle writes, polity is a mixture of oligarchy and democracy. In other words, two wrongs make a right. <laughs> Sorry. He says, it is customary, however, to call politics those... Uh, to call polities those sorts uh, that tend toward democracy and those tending more toward oligarchy, aristocracies, on account of the fact that education and good birth particularly accompany those who are better off. Yeah, you know, accident of birth, silver spoon, trust fund babies, all that kind of stuff. Yep, that's true. He says, polity uh, is the best understood as a mixed regime, one in which combines elements from both oligarchy and democracy. From oligarchy, politics incorporates elected officials, incorporate elected officials, and from democracies, politics offer offices without assessment. While, there are while they are thousands of years old, Aristotle's six regimes should not be viewed as the outdated products of a, descent, of a distant age. Like other, I, it's my trifocals. I, I kind of miss things, so I could put the, put the words in the right part of my screen. He says, like other ideas from antiquity, in other words, ancient history, they offer us much even in our modern world. The principles at play, rule of the few, the many, and to what end, are applicable today. No kidding. Uh, but above all, Aristotle's politics teaches us that the purpose of government is the common good and that forms of political organization are ideally means to that end. Well, let's stop right there, philosophically speaking. Is purpose of government the common good? My answer is no. It's not the common good. Because who would determine the common good? Well, government would. And the government would say that government is the best place uh, to answer what is the common good and the best place to enforce what is the common good, the best place to create the common good. But what kind of common good would government create? It would create common good for themselves. Okay? And then it says, and the forms of political organizations are ideally means to that end. Well, the only thing that the person said the ends justify the means was Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Marxism, okay? So if, if you believe this, I, and I have a strong, uh, you know, I sort of skimmed this article earlier, but this is, I like to not necessarily read the articles so I can react to it with full force the first time as I'm reading it on the air. Um, and so this is interesting. Yeah, so the purpose of government is not the common good. It can't be because who's to say what's, uh, what's the common good? We can't have government saying it. So the only time government could have the purpose of the common good is, is, is if the common folks determine what that good is, right? Well, how do, the, how do the common folks determine what that good is? As I said before, individual choices, freedom. Freedom determines the common good. The freedom to make individual decisions free of government coercion or enforcement, okay? So the sum total of individual decisions and choices freely made, encroachment, enforcement, or coercion, is the common good because the common people came to it individually and without coercion or enforcement. That is the common good. So the duty of government is to enforce the common good that is created by individual 
freedom. And the purpose of government is to protect life, liberty, individual rights, and property. That's the purpose of government. Someone tells me I'm going to disagree with Aristotle. <laughs> kind of interesting, huh? Well, I didn't know. You don't know until you check this stuff out. All right. So let's get a little fife and drums and get political on us ourselves here again. And where's my fife and drums? Here we go. Play a little fife and drums, and I'll come back with another uh, philosophical article um, from the intellectual uh, takeout. I'm back, and I'm joined by Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, George Mason, um, George Washington, and a few other folks from the founding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. So intellectual takeout, the seven intellectual virtues, helpful tools for thinking well. This is going to be interesting. It's back in their philosophy section again by Alethea Hitz or Heights, and that's A-L-E-T-H-I-E-I-A, uh, Heights, H-I-T-Z, uh, February 17th, 2023. So uh, about three weeks ago. The seven intellectual virtues, helpful tools for thinking well. Try to do that. find out what thinking well is according to Alethea Heights, a contributor to the intellectual takeout. So when we think of the words virtue or character, our minds usually go first to actionable morality. We think, for instance, of chivalry, say a gentleman holding a door for a lady, or altruism, the willingness to give up personal pleasure to help somebody else. Philip E. Dow makes a good case, though, for virtue that extends beyond our actions. In his book, Virtuous Minds, Intellectual Character Development, he lists and describes seven intellectual virtues, virtues that correlate to our mental habits that are valuable to thinking well. So what are those seven virtues and how can we apply them? So, so again, so Alethea Heights is quoting uh, Philip E. Dow, uh, Virtuous Minds, Intellectual Character Development. Sounds like an interesting book. Wish I had time to read. <laughs> Anyway, this is why I do these articles. You know, I can get through an article. Not, not so good at getting through a book. Number one, intellectual courage. We all admire the courageous, the mom who runs into a burning building to save her son, the spy who enters enemy territory on a dangerous mission, or the teenagers from the boys who challenged Hitler, who use their talents to stand against the Nazi regime. The courageous press on despite their fear, and they stand firm in their allegiance to what is good. In the intellectual realm, courage involves the determined pursuit of and resolute commitment to truth, even when the truth might hurt. Are we willing to stand up for our beliefs? Are we willing to ask hard questions? Are we willing to press on in our thinking, even if it threatens to shake the foundations of our worldview? The intellectually courageous will answer yes. Okay, let me just be really blunt and bold here and say that at Action Radio, 
this is this is us. We do have intellectual courage. We do stand by our beliefs. We do not shirk from our beliefs. We do not mind being wrong, you know, and we will and we'll say when we're wrong. But I believe we have the courage of our convictions. And I believe most of our convictions about COVID, about the election being stolen, about January 6th, about climate change, about the six things I mentioned, the, the DOJ, KGB, um, all those things were absolutely right on. And I think we're being vindicated now three years later. Hmm. Intellectual courage, number one. Number two, intellectual carefulness. Intellectual carefulness is the second of the intellectual virtues, and it refers to the need to be mentally precise, patient, and attentive. Good thinkers must pay attention to the details surrounding their intellectual pursuits, and they must be careful to examine every part of their thinking or argument. Dow refers to several examples of intellectual carefulness being neglected, some of which had drastic consequences. A misattributed presidential quote ran the risk of damaging popular author David McCullough's historical reputation, and a single omitted computer symbol caused the devastating crash of American spacecraft Mariner 1. I'm not sure about that, but they've got you know, things you can look this up. Uh, this article is in our, our Mind Project, the Action Radio Mind Project, by the way. I think both of them are. So go to the Action Radio Mind Project on Facebook, and you can look up the things I'm talking about uh, in this, this latest segment of the show. What happened to Mariner 1? Interesting. It says, though mistakes may not be intentional, they often reflect badly on the character of those who made them. Intentional deception and intellectual carelessness both produce lies, Dow says, and people don't trust liars. Okay, so for carefulness, uh, there's a reason everything we talk about on the show is open. There's a reason that the podcasts are live. They're not edited. You get what we say when we say it. Uh, the record is permanent. And so you can always go back and check what we said when we said it. And I'll stand by it. And if I'm wrong, I'll make a correction. I've done that. Can't think of when. <laughs> Must have been sometime I was wrong. <laughs> anyway, but no, it does happen. I'm just teasing. All right. Number three, intellectual tenacity. Tenacity. T-E-N-A-C-I-T-Y. Tenacity is one of my favorite words. It's the noun form of the adjective tenacious, which means persistent in maintaining, adhering to, or seeking something valued or desired. Intellectually tenacious people are willing to keep going even in the face of opposition. Dare I say, Action Radio, once again. It says, we see examples of intellectual tenacity. And I didn't plan this article just to make Action Radio look good. I, I, honestly, I had not read this through. But it does seem to me that the things we are trying to do here with all our reporters have these qualities that uh, this article is talking about. That's good. We see examples of intellectual tenacity all around us. There's the scientist who keeps experimenting after many failed attempts. The fiction writer who's on draft 28 and still revising, and the philosophy researcher who crafts and recrafts his argument as new evidence comes to light. Good things take time, the same goes, and the intellectually tenacious are willing to work long in their pursuit of truth. And I would say when we work on bills, okay, our bills are not perfect when they come out. That's why they go to citizen bill ideas. Okay? We work on them, we craft them, we take, up, we take public commentary. We, we refine them, and even then, after the bills are in all proposed laws and being sent off to media and government, I'm still refining them, still revising them, still trying to make them better. That process never stops until it's adopted by a legislature, and then it's their problem. <laughs> then, they see, then we see what they come up with, and if they come up with something completely different than we submitted, then we resubmit our bills. So that's wrong. That's not what we said. Tenacious. That's us. Number four, intellectual fair-mindedness. Dow points out three characteristics of an intellectually fair-minded person. First, they are open to even-handedly weighing different opinions. Second, they try to see concepts or issues from their opponent's point of view. And third, they place the truth above their own ideas. In this way, the intellectually fair-minded approach, the world, 
from an even-handed perspective, making sure that they're not so committed to their own thoughts that they don't consider another's. Yeah, that's really true. You've got to do that. And uh, this is why I don't mind people disagreeing on the show. I have no problem with people disagreeing with me. I have no problem with controversial topics. Obviously, there's certain things that are beyond controversial. They're, they're violent or dangerous or things like that. We, that. That we don't have on the show. But you can be as controversial as you want. Look at all the people I talk to. Who's that, that, that host from another show that came on board, you know, challenged me in a bunch of different things. I loved having him on. Come on. Hey, dude, call back. That was fun. <laughs> anyway, uh, also he says in a practical context, for, or she says, in a fair mindedness might even uh, might mean examining both sides of an argument before making a decision, rephrasing an opponent's ideas before thinking of a response or taking special care to listen before we speak. I don't do that too often. Uh, the fair-minded person will just, see. I'm not perfect. <laughs> the fair-minded person will justly consider all points of view, recognizing that others' perspectives rarely exist without a reason. Okay, <laughs> Marxists, <laughs> go ahead. Try and defend what you're doing. I'll, I'll be, I'll be reasonable. I'll be rational. I'll be fair-minded. Let's see what happens, and then I'll challenge you. <laughs> Intellectual curiosity. This is probably going to be my favorite. Number five. If you've been around small children, you know that the questions never stop. Why is he doing that? Where are we going? Are we there yet? Children know intuitively how to be curious, and they delight in exploring the world around them. See, this is the problem with, with government education. See, I'm convinced that government education, the first thing that government education does is, is take away all the curiosity from children, make them robots, make curiosity bad, you know, make uh, subservience, make uh, accepting information good, and curiosity is bad. Why do you think kids stop asking, asking questions after a while, after they go to school? Well, because school beats it out of them. <laughs> This is my contention. Uh, article says, like children, good thinkers not only blatant, not, uh, should not be blandly contented with their own, perhaps faulty views of the world. Hey, Brandon, are you listening? Rather, they should explore the depth of reality surrounding them, asking wise questions and seeking to appropriately understand what's around them. Unless we are in the habit of asking the why questions, and this is from our uh, book writer Dow, we will remain in neutral, never growing, and never experiencing the richness that comes from a well-examined life. Well, I think it was Henry David Thoreau who talked about the well-examined life that would have been at Walden when he was living in a wood shack, you know, where he made the nails, uh, and he used to swim there in the summertime. So Lincoln, Massachusetts is where Walden Pond is, and it was a great place to swim when I was a teenager. Loved it. So let's ask the questions. Um, do you remember, you guys remember the show Kung Fu? Uh, where they were so racist, they had to have a white guy play an Asian guy, David Carradine, because they couldn't have an Asian guy. You know, Bruce Lee <laughs> was supposed to be uh, Kwai Chang Kang, right? But in one of the scenes, he says, uh, he's asked about, uh, he's, he said, you don't have all the answers. He says, the purpose is not to know all the answers, but to ask the, excuse me, but to ask the right questions. That's my bad Asian accent. Sorry, Asia. I just defended like two billion people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the thing. Just, it's, it's, and of course, you know, Chan King trying to, you know, David Carradine, an American, trying to do an Asian accent. It's probably even worse than mine, <laughs> but who knows? Anyway, but the point was, he said, it's not the point to ask to, to know all the answers, but to ask the right questions. And I think that's the basis of the show here, too. We really strive to ask the right questions. Number six, intellectual honesty. There's not much that impresses me more than honesty. In a culture disturbingly accustomed to lies, well, I think... Uh, the Marxists, the wokeists, pride themselves on lies. It's the lies that give them their existence. Without lies, there'd be no wokeism. Without lies, there'd be no Marxism. Without lies, there'd be no stolen government because they'd have to be honest about it. Lies make, the, make this country go around right now. Lies, this whole, the whole nation is founded uh, on a government and a system based on lies. 
That's just the way it is. <laughs> okay. He said, uh, article says, intellectual honesty relates strongly to courage because when we're tempted toward dishonesty, it's usually because honesty will harm us in some way. A student cheats on an exam to avoid a bad grade, or a professor fabricates some research to preserve his writing reputation. That would be climate change. <laughs> courage can help us carry out the virtue of intellectual honesty, despite the unwanted consequences honesty sometimes brings. Yeah, you got to be honest. And uh, the way that you ensure you're honest is to put everything out there and let people tell you if you're wrong. And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. I'll try and prove myself right. But if not, then if I'm wrong, you can show me I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Okay, I accept that. Adopt that into my, uh, my thinking and move on. Number seven, intellectual humility. You don't see much of that in politics. Nobody likes a bragger. Okay, I'll stop. I'll try. I'm trying again. Oh, but I'm sorry. I'm proud of my show. In their intellectual lives, braggers can be doubly unlikable because in most cases, their pride will stand in the way of thoughtful interactions with a subject. Yeah, never be so attached to a, a subject or a claim or a cause uh, that you can't change it when you get evidence that you're wrong. Okay, that's, that's humility, right? That's my interpretation. And where the article says they may become convinced they're right, even when there's strong evidence to the contrary. Yeah, don't be so attached to the idea of being right that you actually violate all your other principles, principles in order to be right, because that makes you wrong. <laughs> so even though you think you're trying to be right, you're going to be wrong. Article says, of course, intellectually, hum, intellectual humility does not require thinkers to conclude that they are incapable of finding truth. True intellectual humility means that thinkers have an accurate perception of their abilities and, when appropriate, wisely succumb to intellectual authorities. Um, these, these folks really are, are knuckling under the power, and that's something I'm not particularly good at, so I tend to disagree. So, in conclusion, what do these virtues do? Well, all seven of these intellectual virtues are essential to a solid intellectual life. Each of them addresses some aspect of mental character, calling us to interact wisely and honorably with our world. And they are each things we can practically apply and benefit from. As Dow says in an apparent, oh, in apt, there we go, analogy about the usefulness of intellectual character. Intellectual character is like a bank that when we invest in or withdraw, is that we can invest in or draw from. Uh, every choice we make to train and improve our mind is another dollar in the brick, in the bank, excuse me. Every time we decide to be lazy or flippant in our thinking, we are taking another dollar out. When we come to make big decisions in life, we want to find an account overflowing with intellectual capital, not one long overdrawn. In other words, intellectual virtues, when cultivated faithfully and applied well, will enrich and strengthen our mental lives. Well, that's interesting. Okay, just about time for our, our uh, in fact, it is time. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm getting good at timing these things. So we've got that couple of articles. We'll probably do uh, maybe Waco tomorrow uh, and get you the timeline. I've been promising the timeline for a while. So time is now 8.13 here in the panhandle of Florida, in the great city of Milton, on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River, on the Gulf Coast near Pensacola, where the Blue Angels live. And I have, uh, I have something to play for you. And let me, uh, let me, I'm getting better at rem remembering to adjust the volume, <laughs> because uh, the natural setting when you first put a recording on is loud. It's really loud. And so what I have to do is find uh, the one, ah, there it is, and knock it back one, so you don't get blasted by, uh, you know, pipeline with <laughs> the surf tune. Way louder than you should. Okay, so this is with Robert Shibley, S-H-I-B-L-E-Y. He's from FIRE, the Federation for Independent or Individual Rights, excuse me, the Federation for Individual Foundation. Let's start again. Take two. See, I'm wrong, right? I admit it. Foundation for Individual Rights 
and education is what it used to be. Now I think it's the foundation for individual rights and expression. So anytime you hear WBY or you hear a phone number uh, that's not 215-383-3832 or you hear anything that doesn't sound like me live, that's because this was recorded uh, way back on um, May, <laughs> May 26th of 2017. So this is almost uh, six years old. But it's still kind of cool. It's still kind of current. And it's interesting listening to these articles because the problems they had then uh, and the problems they have now, it's really quite fascinating that things haven't changed that, you know, if anything, things have gotten worse. So let's start playing this. Let's uh, get into it. Uh, See you at the top of the hour with CJ and uh, our wellness uh, workout. Yeah, baby. There we go. 806 in the morning, time for Action Radio with Greg Penglis here at 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's talk radio. And we have a guest, and he may only be here for half an hour, so I don't want to uh, waste any time at all. Let's introduce him. He has faced bias and censorship while being a managing editor of a college newspaper. He is a graduate of Duke University School of Law. His career has been defending the rights of college and university students and faculty members. And he started the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education in 2003. Please welcome Mr. Robert Shibley. Got to get our applause in there, too. Hello, Robert. How are you? Hi, uh, great. Thanks for having me. I love that intro. Well, yeah. Well, this is my show. I can do what I want. I love to do these things. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I know you may only may have half an hour, but you're perfectly welcome to stay for the whole hour because I've got about three hours of questions. Well, sure. I'm happy to. I, I think I can do the whole hour. So oh, that'd be great. On. Yeah. So first of all, tell us about the, the foundation for, um, let me get my, my title right here. Uh, oh, yeah. Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE. Uh, how is this? What, what do you guys do? Yeah, sure. Well, we were founded in 1999 uh, to defend free speech, uh, other First Amendment rights like freedom of religion, uh, freedom of association and expression, as well as due process um, and fair procedures on college and university campuses. And uh, we were founded sort of in the wake of the the 1990s political correctness uh, movement uh, when people on campus started really to be punished for saying or, or sometimes even thinking things uh, that were, you know, outside the, the campus mainstream or outside the sort of approved uh, beliefs of campus. And uh, we've been going ever since. What kind of punishments were students getting? Well, they were getting and are getting, um, you know, it, it can be as severe as expulsion, but generally, uh, you know, what you might see is uh, somebody uh, will say something that's deemed to be uh, sexist or racist or some form of harassment, um, and, you know, punishments can range from sort of a letter of discipline uh, to suspension uh, for a semester or two, which is pretty common, uh, to expulsion from the university. Wow. How come a term like white privilege isn't considered offensive or racist? Well, you know, what's considered offensive or racist, um, you know, a big part of the problem of, you know, having a, a, a system where you can be punished for saying things that are offensive or racist is what's offensive or racist or anything else like that is purely in the eye of the beholder. And there's really no way around that. So, yeah. you know, whereas, you know, maybe in, you know, the, the 1950s or, or the 1850s, white privilege would have been considered offensive or racist. Uh, today, it, it's not. And it, it's uh, at least by the folks who are making the rules on most campuses. Um, and so it's a, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of taste. And that's, that's a big part of the problem, which is that, 
you know, if you don't share the taste, if you don't share the opinions of the people who are in charge on campuses, uh, you can be taking a big risk uh, if you speak your mind. And so that really sort of gets to the, the fundamentals of the problem. The answer is because the people in charge don't feel like it. And that answer changes depending on who's in charge. Which makes free speech totally arbitrary. And I'm a big free speech advocate. I, I have experience with this uh, in college myself. And this is back, I graduated in 81 uh, from the University of Massachusetts. And I remember I was in a debate class and I took a view opposing uh, what the, the, the professor liked. And I just looked at him and I said, you're going to downgrade me for my position, aren't you? He says, yes, I am. I said, you can't do that. He says, yes, I can. I'm thinking to myself, what's the point? You know, and this is back in the 80s this was going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's always, I mean, it's always been a, um, you know, a, a temptation uh, for people. And I mean, this, you know, this goes all the way back to, you know, our earliest historical documents. I mean, people who uh, say unpopular things to the people in power are always uh, taking a risk. And one of the real innovations about uh, the Enlightenment and, and sort of the philosophy from which America sprang, and of course the one that's written into our founding documents, is this idea of limiting the government, limiting the authorities uh, from actually doing that. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in my opinion, and I think in, in the opinion of most Americans, that's been a, a really successful experiment. Uh, you know, we have a great deal of freedom. We've made a great deal of progress. Uh, because of it, because we've told the authorities uh, in most cases, you know what, this is not your business, uh, what I can say, what I can think, what I can write or publish. Um, and so that's been successful. But, you know, it's very natural for people not to want to hear things and, and to want to, you know, punish people who are expressing opinions they find offensive or they'd rather not hear that make them uncomfortable. And so it, it, it's, a, it's an impulse we always have to fight against. And unfortunately, you know, professors and, and administrators on college campuses, um, you know, just like the the actual government, um, you know, people we think of as government officials, although I want to point out that at state universities, uh, you know, administrators particularly are definitely uh, state, state officials. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they give into that temptation, too, when they're not, you know, disciplined not to. It's, it's fascinating what's going on. I want to get into, because uh, you're a lawyer, and so I want to, I want to tax your lawyerly brain on the uh -oh. First Amendment. Oh, don't worry. No, it's just, I, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, this, is, this isn't gotcha radio. This is, you know, you're among friends here. But even so, I still want to, you know, maximize what I can, uh, what, what I can, I can delve into. Um, again, so free speech, definitely a, a, a big thing. I consider free speech, this is my personal opinion. Uh, first of all, if it's not offending somebody, it's, it's not even worth it. And so I, I, with all rights, I consider rights to be absolute within the context of the right. So the first, first Amendment free speech, you know, within the context of free speech, I include free speech to be ideas, opinions, evidence, and arguments. But if you're just, you know, talking, you're not saying anything, or like the panhandling ordinance, if you're just asking for money, that's not speech, that's commerce. And so within the context of free speech, you know, you have the absolute right to, to, have, to not be infringed by the government. But if you're not engaged in ideas, opinions, you know, evidence, arguments, things like that, you're not really engaged in speech. So how would you define uh, free speech if you could? Well, I mean, the, you know, that's actually sort of the, the nuts and bolts of, um, you know, how when you have a free speech case, when you have a case that goes to the Supreme Court, uh, that's you're talking about one of the kinds of determinations they make. And it, it's one of the questions, um, you know, if you're if you are setting up a criminal conspiracy, that might all be speech. You know, if you're if you're making plans, how, to, how you're going to rob a bank. Uh, you know that is all obviously no, that's commerce. But, it's, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's in that case, it's, it's also a criminal conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically, there are 
the way we look at it in this country, and that's one of the, I think, the great things about this country, but it's also one of the things that makes us uh, unique um, in the world, is that uh, we, we generally start from the assumption that your speech or expression is protected unless it falls into one of the exceptions. And those exceptions are things you're talking about. Commercial speech is actually, commercial speech itself is actually sort of a, it's the one sort of pseudo exception. Um, it, it, you know, they are, obviously you can have truth in advertising laws, um, that say, you know, you can't advertise that, you know, the ingredients in your, in your, uh, you know, food, you can't say it, you know, contains beef when it really contains, you know, uh, I don't know, a dog or yeah. something like that. So that's not, that's not a, that's not an infringement, considered an infringement on free speech. But the ones we usually think of are for, um, uh, uh criminal conspiracies or, or speech like that, um, actual, uh, true harassment or threats. So that's when you are um, engaging in a course of conduct that involves speech um, that is either, you know, somebody would actually be threatened with physical or bodily harm or, yeah. you know, it rises to the level of harassment where, you know, it really is interfering with somebody's life. Um, but that's, that's not speech to me because that's not an idea, an expression, an independent opinion, argument, or evidence supporting your argument. So well, that to me wouldn't be speech. Exactly, and that's part of what they, and that's that's generally one of the the considerations that they make is, you know, is this kind of speech more like pure expression or is it more like an action, right? Okay. And so, and that's, and, and and you know, frankly, it is a judgment call in many cases, and obviously, there's a lot of reasonable people who disagree, you know, exactly where the line should be drawn. Hmm. But I mean, that is that is a big part of it. Is is this um, is this really more like conduct or is it more like speech? Um, you know, and in the cases, let's say you have a protest and you're carrying a sign, right. um, that's considered to be more like speech than like conduct, even though obviously there's some conduct involved. But, uh, you know, when it comes to something like harassment or when it comes to, uh, you know, lying about what's in this drink or whatever like that, right. that's, that's more like, that's considered to be more like conduct. Yeah. Because we have some more time, I'm going to get into Berkeley uh, and what's going on there and the restrictions on, on speakers in just a little bit. But I want to, I want to kind of hit the First Amendment because I've never gotten, other than my own definition, uh, a really good definition for uh, some of the things in the First Amendment, and I know it deals with religious issues, but what does it mean exactly when it says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion? Well, that is a that's actually a very contentious issue, and it's actually one. Um, Fire doesn't really handle um, cases that have to do with establishment because it hasn't uh, really been an issue. It isn't one of our core issues. But mm -hmm. generally, the difference between establishment and free exercise establishment is clearly when the government is actually you know making an official religion. Um, Thank that, you. That's, that's establishment. <laughs> so I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. The question is, you know, around the borders of that, what, um, and this is what we sort of argue about with the Pledge of Allegiance, having the words under God in it, or the Ten Commandments hmm. um, on courthouse lawns, to what extent does that actually constitute sort of official endorsement of a religion, which the, the government, you know, is, is, which is frowned upon, but not, you know, completely um, impossible. Obviously, the Ten Commandments, you are allowed to put them. Um, on on courthouse lawns, yeah. so um, you know that that's that's one of the thornier issues. And frankly, I mean, the the real answer to your question there is is kind of it's it's what the Supreme Court thinks it is, which is why I don't believe the Supreme Court should have their judicial review power, which I want to revoke. And I'll talk to you about that someday. But uh, <laughs> on campuses, how does how does free expression of religion? Uh, do you have any cases that that you're working on with those with that issue? Uh, we don't have any current cases um, on that, but historically we have had a number of cases okay. um, that deal with 
um, religious freedom on campus. One, one of the most active areas that we've seen um, over the years of fire is uh, the idea that religious groups um, are, are going to be dictated to in terms of who they can have as members or leaders. That's one of the more common uh, controversies there. So let's say you have a Christian, I remember one case mm-hmm. um, at a uh, university in North Carolina, I think it was the University of North Carolina, as a matter of fact, where there was a, a Christian fraternity on campus um, whose, whose mission was to basically be missionaries to, to carry the gospel to uh, other members of the fraternity community. So it was a fraternity, and their idea was to, you know, talk about Christ to, um, you know, other fraternity members in other fraternities. And UNC um, attempted at one point to tell them that, well, you have to let in, you know, every, you know, you have to let in people even who aren't Christian and and don't believe, um, you know, in those specific beliefs. And their response back uh, was that, well, we can't really communicate our beliefs um, effectively if some of them, our members don't even believe it. Um, and that's a case that, that's a case that fire took on and, and ultimately we got UNC to agree with us and they were able to continue, uh, doing their work. But, um, that isn't all, unfortunately that isn't always the case. Uh, there's a, a 2012 case called, uh, Christian Legal Society versus Martinez, uh, that we think went the wrong way in the Supreme Court. It was a 5-4 decision, uh, where, um, they determined in kind of a limited way that, a university um, could have an all-comers policy for groups. So um, they said that a university could say, hey, every single group has to let every single person who wants to join, uh, join. Now, that's, um, that's kind of a limited one because almost no university has that. For instance, in most hmm. places, you can have fraternities and sororities. Uh, the, you can have single-sex a cappella groups. You can have single-sex you know, club sports teams, et cetera. Um, the, the school in this case was a standalone law school that didn't have any of those things out in California. Um, but that, that's really, um, unfortunately, I think, a real imposition on the ability of groups, and not just religious groups, by the way, but political groups, LGBT groups, et cetera, um, telling them that, you know, if you've got these members who are, you know, really in there just to cause a problem, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, they don't even agree with the group. Um, I, I think that's a real mistake, and I think at some point that's going to manifest itself. Yeah, I just came up with a new doctrine of enforced association, and so that you you can use this if you want. I just made it up, but there should be a law against enforced association. So you shouldn't have to be forced to include someone in a group that does not uh, participate in the group by by membership, by qualification, by belief, by anything else like that. Uh, is there anything like that in law? Well, the First Amendment is actually uh, serves as that law um, okay. when it comes to not. Uh, being on college campuses. The reason that a, uh, college campuses were allowed to uh, have this sort of limited thing is that they, um, they have the, the power of recognition over groups. So, for instance, let's say you have an outside group mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with, can, you, don't, you, don't use, you don't have a mailbox, you don't have an office, you don't rent rooms or anything. The, a public campus can't do anything about that. They, they have no influence over those, uh, those sorts of rules. Um, a private campus can because they can monitor, uh, you know, more um, thoroughly what each individual does. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally they're, you know, enforced association, it, it, you know, the way you're putting it, um, is something that the government can't do when it's a, when it's a private club of some kind. Yeah, it makes sense. We're gonna have to take a little break and then we'll be back. I want to talk about Berkeley and anything, any free speech cases that, uh, that are, that you're working on right now. And we'll get into the, the details of all that stuff. So my guest is Robert Shipley from the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. It's 820 in the morning, Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY, and I'll be right back. 
Special guest Robert Shibley of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Let's take on the big one, Berkeley. What's uh, what's going on out there with free speech or lack thereof? Well, I think at Berkeley, um, what we're really seeing is the the fruits of a a campus culture that uh, you know, particularly ironically and unfortunately, at the at what everybody knows is the birthplace of the free speech movement. Um, you know, among students back in in the 1960s. Um, this this uh, this culture among students, and I, I don't think it's a majority of students. Um, in fact, I'm certain it's not. But uh, you know, among certain folks, and they are they are um, you know people who are very vocal that say that certain kinds of speech can't be tolerated, and in fact um, are a form of violence. And I think they go further, and and you know, as we saw um, in the in the riots uh, on February 1st and then you know these these sort of following up sort of fights over what's going to happen in some you know actual physical fights um, when uh, controversial speakers like Ann Coulter are scheduled to come and of course she was unable to we're seeing this idea that uh, the words that people say are actually equivalent to violence and therefore it's okay to respond uh, to that with violence that it's justifiable and I, I think that's a very dangerous uh, precedent that they are setting at Berkeley yeah Wellesley College came out with a whole speech like that they had an article and they basically said the same thing if, if we think that your speech is hate speech and therefore violence then it's not really counted as speech so our speech counts your speech doesn't count because we decide what is free speech and I find it ironic that uh, here we are coming up to Memorial Day honoring you know fallen soldiers who fought for our freedoms one of the most important of which is free speech and and these folks are trashing that right, you know, thinking that they have a monopoly on virtue. And it, further irony goes that the people who probably did participate in the free speech movement in the 60s are now the ones who are limiting free speech now. And it's like, well, we fought for free speech, and now we're going to keep our speech. Like, their speech is the only one that counts. How did this all, how did we get from free speech to our speech? Well, you know, I think it's, a it's sort of a natural um, progression. I mean, free speech. You got to think historically speaking, the idea of, of liberty generally and free speech, um, you know, particularly is is an aberration. It's not the normal uh, side of things. People really have to sort of believe in it and have a have and discipline themselves um, to say, you know, what I'm upset by what this person is saying, but I'm not going to punch them. I'm not going to you know, take physical action. I'm going to respond with arguments of my own, and I'm going to try to win the argument. Um, and when you don't have people who um, you know, share that, and when you're not making any kind of effort, um, as, as, as I think they unfortunately you know, aren't in, in K-12 through in many cases, um, and you know, also on many college campuses, to tell people, hey, you know what, this is you know, not speech and you know, physical violence are not equivalent. Um, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for this kind of disaster. And we saw it at Berkeley, obviously, most, uh, you know, most obviously, but also we saw it at Middlebury with, uh, Charles Murray being sort of, uh, actually literally run out of town, mm-hmm. um, after, after being told that the, the demonstrators were coming for him and, and his, uh, his debate partner, uh, sent to the hospital and then, um, at Claremont College, out, also, also out in the L.A. area, where thankfully there wasn't violence, but they did uh, block Heather McDonald from speaking, physically block her uh, yeah. from speaking. And yeah. so, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of this 
you know, idea that we're justified in doing anything to keep these people from getting their message across. And, I mean, the fact is, if everybody takes that stand, that's a recipe for, you know, riots and, and civil disobedience, and, or excuse me, not civil disobedience, but the civil war, frankly, yeah. uh, where people are out, you know, beating each other in the street because instead of, you know, talking things through and having an election to decide, you know, which policy is going to uh, prevail. We're just going to beat on each other until, uh, you know, one of us wins. And I, I, I think that's not what we want. And I, I um, you know, at least that's certainly not what fire wants and not what I want. Um, but I, I think there's a real serious lack of self-awareness uh, among a lot of the folks who are, are saying that free speech is bad and that it's, it's justifiable to re- react to it in violence, because that absolutely, I mean, the other side is going to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's no way they won't. And we're starting to see, I think, the fruits of that, particularly in Berkeley. Well, I mean, it's a, there's a whole leftist ideology uh, that says that diversity means different skin colors, but all thinking the same. You know, and it means that, uh, uh, you know, fascism is what we say it is. And if we act like the fascists in the 30s, you know, as I, I had an article, you know, from brown shirts to, to black hoods, you know, it's, it's not that much different. Uh, they're, they're fighting against, they're becoming what they're supposedly fighting against, and they can't see the irony of, of what they've become. And so this whole thing going on right now, uh, I got a couple of questions. I want to get to the, the, um, the camp, comprehensive campus free speech bill that was in Tennessee, which mm-hmm. is the total opposite of what's happening now. But I want to kind of finish up. Do you have any free speech cases you're defending, or do students come to you or organizations come to you to, to aid uh, on free speech issues on campus? Anything going on? Oh, sure. Well, this is a, a particularly sort of ironic one in some ways. Um, at Lawrence University up in Wisconsin, uh, a student group there called Students for Free Thought, um, or at least they, they would like to be a student group. They've actually been denied uh, recognition as a student group, and it, it seems pretty transparently because of their viewpoint. In fact, the, the real flashpoint of it was mm-hmm. they showed a documentary about free speech and comedy that, you know, full disclosure, Fire was, a, you know, a co-producer on. Oh, there so you go. Yeah. This film. It was called Can We Take a Joke, Where Outrage and Comedy Collide is the, is the tagline. Yep. And, um, you know, this, this movie's been showed. It, it was bought by a, a sort of a mainstream distributor. You can get it on Netflix and Amazon and that sort of thing. They tried to show it at Lawrence University, and apparently it caused such a ruckus they had to stop it temporarily halfway through and, and throw somebody out because of the big argument that started in the, you know, in the audience. Um, and then it was seized upon by both the student government. It, you know, they, did, they did finish the movie, but then the student government and then the, the university president, which I think is really shameful, sort of seized on that. And he actually emailed the entire campus community and said, you know, it's been really painful, you know, since this happened. And, you know, I want to assure you uh, this group is uh, not recognized. The right. student government, you know, I really thank them for their careful analysis in, in not recognizing them. So it's, it's really quite shameful. And given that the, the movie was about um, how this outrage culture makes it impossible for people to speak. I think it's, you know, in some ways, particularly, uh, you know, maybe maybe ironic isn't the word, but appropriate almost that it was a group called Students for Free Thought uh, that were told they couldn't exist because they wanted to show this because they did show this movie. So oh, yeah. I mean, that, that shows you the culture that, that we're dealing with here. Which proves a couple of things. One, they can't take a joke. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing is, I mean, the university professor might have said, you know, I'm sorry we exposed you to free speech. It won't happen again, which is basically what he's saying. You know, yeah, so this, I mean, you know, it, it, they, and this is, it, and to be clear, it's the president. I mean, this is this is the guy for him to come out and, you know, effectively apologize, you know, for it happening and 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 make that, you know, basically send the message to students 
that free speech is dangerous and sort of like like a like a piece of uranium or something, you know, yeah. and that you know, well, maybe maybe it's got some use, but we have to be really really careful in how we handle it. And, and look, you know, these people are, you know, they're not worthy uh, to organize and do that. I, I think is really you know, a shame, obviously, but I, I think it's also really reflective of um, you know how people are just not willing to tolerate hearing other people's viewpoints on campus, and they're being told that that's the right way to be, um, <laughs> and it's not. Well, here's something funny. You're going to kick out of this. I, I looked at the trailer. Uh, for this movie, and it looks hysterical, so I definitely want to see if I can get a hold of it. But uh, in the, the, the Lawrence University community, the Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion, okay, <laughs> which, which is funny in itself. Anyway, Kimberly Barrett says that we received several bias incident reports, including some related to an interaction between two students, which resulted in one student being asked to leave the event by a member of the sponsoring group. Each of these reports will be reviewed and acted upon, and they go on and on and on. You know, but first of all, this is like official policy. We, you know, we're we're going to have diversity and inclusion, except for things that don't really you know, come into our diversity and inclusion thing. Is there a lawsuit regarding this? Are you guys taking action, or, or what specifically is FIRE doing? Well, we're still looking into the, the details, and Lawrence University is a private university and is therefore not bound uh, by the First Amendment. However, okay. they do promise free speech to their students, and FIRE does our best to, to hold universities uh, to those promises. Sometimes that can be done uh, through contract law, sort of depending on the state. Um, you know, most of the time, though, um, we you know use what I guess what you'd call moral suasion. We we tell people what's going on, and we we put pressure on universities from mm-hmm. their alumni who are almost never uh, you know okay with this sort of thing, and then from other <laughs> folks yeah. uh, in their local community and state, and then from their students as well to say, you know, this is not how you are supposed to be running a university. How are we supposed to be taken seriously? Um, you know, as a place where you can freely learn if. I mean, in this case, you're yeah. frankly just saying you can't really learn here. Yeah. So you're not you're not lawyers that actually take on cases and litigate on behalf of people. We do sometimes. Oh, you do sometimes. Um, okay. But you know, we're not at that point in this case yet, and, okay. and aren't aren't prepared to you know say whether we will or not. Keep me posted when you have a great case because I'll have you on again. We have to take another break, uh, and then I want to come back and talk about a couple things. One, why the ACLU isn't all over this as well, and I want to get into this Tennessee bill because I think it's quite fascinating. And it's also interesting that the South is where a lot of these things are happening. Tennessee, North Carolina, they've got your green light report. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff here uh, with uh, Robert Shibley. It's 8.34 in the morning, and we'll be right back here at 13.30 WEBY. So back to Robert. So, so uh, Robert, where's the UCLU? How come they aren't uh, partnering with you and, and joining you in all this free speech stuff? Well, actually, you know, fireworks with a lot of different uh, state chapters, and, and, and sometimes there's more than one chapter in the state of the ACLU on, on various issues. So the ACLU is, is sort of, uh, you know, obviously they're much larger than fire, and, you know, they, they obviously have a much bigger portfolio. Um, so, you know, they, they, it depends on, you know, where you are. Um, some of the chapters are, you know, very happy to work with fire, and, okay. uh, you know, we're happy to have them um, on the cases when, uh, when they're interested. Yeah, I'm always curious whenever you have uh, more conservative organizations, you know, pairing with more liberal organizations on things that we both agree on. And free speech, it should be an issue we agree on, but not necessarily. You find a lot of, a lot of quote, tolerance for intolerance, uh, I find, in various groups that otherwise do so. It's like the ACLU is terrible on the Second Amendment. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. That's a different issue. But anyway, oh, do you deal with um, students for concealed carry at all? Have you folks worked together? 
We have in a couple cases. Um, we've had um, several cases, in fact. Um, weirdly enough, in Texas, uh, there's been a lot of hostility, which is not necessarily what you'd expect, yeah. uh, stereotypically from Texas, although I, I shouldn't talk in stereotypes like that, but um, ah, from, no, from students who want to uh, protest for the right to uh, carry concealed on campus and are mm-hmm. being told that they can't even uh, demonstrate for that right. Um, for a while, they were having and may still be having uh, these empty holster protests where uh, they would wear a a gun holster, but that didn't have a gun in it. It was visible, and the right. idea was to protest the, the their inability uh, to have those guns uh, with them. And they were told by the several uh, colleges in Texas um, that they weren't even allowed to do that. Uh, one of them, they actually said, "Well, you can't have holsters." So they said, "Okay, we'll just uh, draw a holster on a piece of paper and put that there." And they said, "Well, you can't do that either." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, just make this up as they go along, or what? Well, I mean, yeah, in many cases they are. And, and again, I mean, that's because um, when you have these rules, as, as many universities do, you know, fire rates the, the speech codes of over 450 of the biggest and most prestigious schools in the country. Yeah. And um, when we started, 79% of them had red light speech codes. That's the worst, you know, laughably unconstitutional speech codes. That's down to 40% now, but most of the rest are green light schools in the entire country. Okay. Um, that don't have any policies. And so when you have these policies that you can use to, to basically punish anything you like, uh, it really is you know, up to the administrators what they want to do. And in these cases, you know, obviously guns on campus are controversial. You know, they're either opposed to it or just don't like to have controversy on campus, and so that's what they do. Interesting. Um, just in case you want to get in the conversation here, which I hope people do, 623-1330 is the number, area code 850-623-1330. Let's talk a little bit about these ratings here, because you had another article on the University of North Carolina, which you gave a green light uh, rating to. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking to myself, the South being a very independent part of the country, uh, it seems to me that there are more green lights, I'm thinking, would be in the South. Is, is that true? And, and where do you find the, the green light campuses and what makes them a green light campus? I think there's been, I think, more progress on getting toward green lights in the South, although it's certainly not uh, confined to there. Um, but, uh, like, for instance, I think that the two top uh, states right now for proportion of green light schools are Pennsylvania um, and North Carolina. Now, <laughs> admittedly, Pennsylvania is fire's home state, so they may, that may have something to do with it as well. We're based in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, it really just has to do with, um, you know, uh, in, in some cases, like in Tennessee, for instance, what you were mentioning, in North mm-hmm. Carolina, where you know laws are under consideration, or in the case of Tennessee, is in passed, you might have legislators that are that are more interested in pursuing that, um, and you might have people who are more open um, to uh, the diverse viewpoints, um, you know, simply because they live in communities that uh, you know tend to be uh, places that are. You know, not not necessarily aligned with sort of the mainstream of university culture, but you're you're still there, and so um, it, it's more obvious um, that you know not everybody agrees with you. And I think that, I think groupthink is a big part of the problem on college campuses. That so many campuses, um, you know, it really is considered sort of gauche or you know tacky um, to have a, have a belief or to express a belief at least that that's outside of the the normal mainstream. Which you know, right now, and it's, this is this has not always been true yeah. uh, historically, but right now it's. It's a fairly left-wing. Um, or fairly? Uh, fairly left-wing? <laughs> uh, oh, you're too kind. Mainstream on campus, and so, you know, it, it's sort of easy to go along to get along. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, in parts of the country that are, you know, a, a little more lean towards uh, the right, uh, there's a, a bit more appreciation that, you know, not everybody we get here is going to agree with this. And I, I think yeah. it's important, you know, for everybody. I mean, even if you are, you know, at a university that really doesn't have that, 
you know, situation at all. Let's say you're, you know, a university in, in New York City or Boston or something. Um, you know, I, I believe, in fact, uh, the president of Harvard just yesterday in her commencement speech was talking about how, uh, you know, it, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but yeah, everybody at Har- you know, it seemed like everybody at Harvard was, you know, shocked by President Trump's victory. Um, and that sort of reminded them, you know, how they, they need to remember that there are other viewpoints out there. Um, and I think that's true everywhere, that, that people need to make an effort to, to seek out smart people yeah. with whom they disagree and not just take the, the cheap shortcut of saying that the other side is evil or dumb, um, which, is, which is always tempting. Well, Bernie Sanders said that, too. He says, you know, debate, yeah. debate the conservatives. You know, That's don't, right. don't shut them out of your campuses. And I admire Bernie Sanders. He's the only person I, I admire who I completely disagree with. And so, but that's okay, because I can respect what he says without respecting, you know, his ideas. I don't think they have, you know, merit. I think the socialist isn't going to work, right? But, yeah, uh, Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama said the same thing. I mean, re- repeatedly he said it. Uh, Mike Pence just recently said something like that at Notre Dame as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it is a bipartisan um, thing or, or nonpartisan thing. I mean, FIRE is a nonpartisan organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, for, for political reasons, some people think it's convenient to, to use free speech as a scapegoat because it isn't. I mean, free speech has always been, you know, the friend of the oppressed. The majority doesn't need free speech. Right. Uh, majority is the majority. They're, they're going to, you know, if, if you are actually the people with the power, you're not having a problem. Well, it's always been about respecting the rights of the minority, and that's the difference between a democracy and a republic. And, and people forget that. They keep bantering around this word democracy, and we're not. We are a republic with, with you know, some defined rights and others reserved to, uh, to the states and to the people, you know, not, uh, you know, not in, in the federal government. So even if rights aren't specifically enumerated in the Bill of Rights, doesn't mean we don't have them. And so all these things, you know, are going on. And so we, we define rights. We have, you know, rules of due process. We do all these things to, uh, to separate us from the democracies where one over half can change the law tomorrow in a completely strange situation. Um, I want to go over a couple of different things here. We've, we've got a little bit of time left. This case in, in um, Tennessee, this law, one of, a couple of the provisions are, one, they, uh, they require institutions to adopt policies consistent with the University of Chicago free speech policy statement. Are you familiar with that? Oh, sure. What's that? Uh, the University of Chicago statement is a... Um, there's actually more than one, believe it or not, uh, okay. but this is the more recent one that is um, a – the University of Chicago asked um, Jeff Stone, who's a, a famous professor of constitutional law there, uh, to put together a committee to you know, sort of examine the commitments to free speech that Chicago should have. And Chicago is a little bit of an unusual case in that uh, they're a private university that has um, – always had this this sort of different strain um, in them, particularly when it comes to to free speech and so they, um, you know they, the, the committee worked on that and a, a couple years ago they came out with a, a statement that's I think very strong um, and that fire has been encouraging schools um, to adopt that basically says you know we need you know all viewpoints need to be aired here okay. um, and we need to you know be careful to make sure that we are not uh, enforcing some kind of orthodoxy on folks. I'm 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 horribly paraphrasing from it, but um, you know a lot of different folks, um, a lot of different universities have started to adopt that, um, either faculty bodies or the universities themselves. Um, and so now the uh, Tennessee legislature has said, you know what, we expect our universities to have policies that are consistent with this commitment to free expression and academic freedom. Is this the same University of Chicago that does the the style reporter journalistic standards thing? 
Uh, oh yeah, they are. They're, that okay. is the University of Chicago. Yeah, they uh, the they have their own style. That's right. Okay, interesting. And then they also talk about prohibits the use uh, of misleadingly labeled free speech zones. Let's talk about those. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we see. I think it's down to about um, one in six or one in seven universities. Um, that we survey have these areas they call free speech zones. They're usually called free speech zones. Sometimes they're called something else. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's this idea that, okay, in this particular part of campus, um, you are free to protest, free to speak, free to hand out literature and that sort of thing. Um, And the rest of campus, there's a whole bunch of rules and hoops you have to jump through. (laughs) And Is that unconstitutional, just to have a zone? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the fact is the free speech zone is supposed – the university campus is supposed to be a free speech zone. We thought. Um, you know, that's why we have them, and that's, that's why we're paying for them, you know, on these on – these, and these are public campuses, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a suit right now going on against Pierce College out in Los Angeles uh, where their free speech zone – I think it was the size of a couple of parking spaces. It's actually <laughs> like a – it's actually a line that's on the ground. Uh-huh. Um, they've sort of outlined it in brick. Um, and that's where your free speech line. (laughs) Yeah, there's an actual line. Okay. Even for that, I believe you have to, to, to run through some hoops. And we have a a student there who who was trying to pass out Spanish language constitutions and he, and he wasn't in the free speech zone and and got in trouble for that. So we're currently uh, litigating that out in, in Los Angeles. Okay. How do folks get in touch with you if they want some help, uh, with their, their free speech on campus or just more information? Yeah, head to our website at thefire.org, thefire.org, and if you want to submit a case, there's a big button, or you can go to thefire.org slash submit, I think. Um, But, you know, our our website is is very big and comprehensive and has – we have these free speech guides, or excuse me, I should say guides to um, student rights on campus. There's five of them, actually, free speech, due process, religious liberty, uh, thought reform, and student fees and funding. Um, and so students can read about it there, but we also have a whole, we have a blog, we have a whole ton of information on this. You can submit your case or question. Uh, you can look up your school, uh, obviously, to see how you're doing, whether it's, you know, cases for each school or whether it's, you know, what's your school's speech code. Um, and you can join our FIRE Student Network if you're a student um, and uh, engage in some activities along those lines. Okay. We keep mentioning the word FIRE. I want to remind uh uh, everyone, that, that stands for Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. So FIRE, that's where that comes from. It's 8.50. We have to take our last break, and then we have a caller for you. And I want to squeak in your book, Twisting Title IX. That's sort of like our last topic. So right. we'll be right, right back with Robert Shipley, 8.50 in the morning. Let's do it. The music is cooked up for us now. 7.52 in the morning, I got my special guest, Robert Shibley from uh, FIRE, which is the, uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. I'm going to bring on Pete. And Pete, we really need you to go right to your question this morning. Sound good? Hey, real real quick. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mr. Rob, showing up. Just remember the word FIRE, the largest forest fire. Uh, millions and millions of acres could be started by one little spark. So you're doing good. You're doing good. When do you think... This politically correctness kicked in. I, when I was in college back in the 60s and 70s, we could discuss the craziest things over a pint of Guinness, but we never fought. We never burned anything down. We never beat anybody up. We never killed anybody. When did it get crazy where we need free speech zones and snowflakes and mayors of cities saying to people that need room to d- destroy, to destroy, and 
breaking into CVSs and stealing Laura tabs and cases of whiskey and stuff because you don't like what's going on. When did this really start, like the frog and boiling water type deal? <laughs> okay, Pete. Thanks very much. Great question. Well, most people think, and I think this is probably about right, that uh, it, it kicked off um, this this latest wave of this that kicked off really in in 1991 or 1992, um, in in the rise of political correctness. I mean, that was um, you know that was a word that hadn't really been um, you know bandied about before that time, and uh, you know at that time there was there was already sort of an immediate backlash. Obviously, Bill Maher's old show was called Politically Incorrect. There was a movie called PCU. Uh, that was making uh, fun of this stuff, um, and yes, there was there was a lot of of talk about um, you know how we are going to you know now start actually political correctness was considered to be good then like that was you would say hey I'm politically correct at first <laughs> that was that was something people would you know sort of boast about and talk Not about anymore. hey that's good yeah um, that quickly stopped but I think what that quickly sort of faded off or it seemed to fade off, but what I think what was really happening was that that belief was really being institutionalized. It was being sort of built into the university system. And so uh, we've seen it really, I, I, th- I think the rise of, of social media um, and the, the rise of, you know, what I, you know, think that there, there, is, a, there is really something to the sort of overprotective parenting. Um, you know, I know I'm certainly as a parent far more protective of my kids than my parents were, and, and somehow I managed to make it. Uh, you know, I, I think all of that has sort of come together as a perfect storm to sort of revive it and, and make it worse than ever in some ways. And so, you know, I, I think the origins, though, of this are, are probably from the early 1990s. Yeah, I think of this as conditioning. Uh, I was writing a, a little Facebook piece last night as to why people object to Trump so much, because they've been conditioned to liberals in office for so long, and I include the Bushes in that, uh, that all of a sudden you have someone like uh, Trump comes along, and the closest you know, in anybody's recent memory would be Ronald Reagan, uh, and probably you know, Coolidge before that, as someone that is, is like a revolutionary person, you know, trying to do a lot of you know, good conservative things. And if you haven't seen it, if you haven't been exposed to it, then you're conditioned to think that this is the aberration. Same thing in school. If you're raised in a liberal school and you go to a liberal high school and a liberal university, that's your normal. And so to have, you know, opposing points of view must be incredibly threatening to people. What do you think? Well, it is. I mean, it, it's obviously tough to hear people who really vehemently disagree with you. I mean, it, living in a liberal democracy is hard. Um, you know, I, I mean, supposed to be. Sort of famously, uh, you know, they asked Ben Franklin as he was getting out of the Constitutional Convention um, in Philadelphia, which is actually only steps from where Fire's headquarters is, which is cool. What and, a coincidence. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they asked him, you know, what, what, what do we got here? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Yeah. And, you know, this is part of the keeping it, this respect for this tolerance, frankly, for, for opposing views and, and different religions and, and really these sort of fundamental differences is what makes us able to have – a country this big that's still one country and you know constantly trying to attack that um you know that ability to tolerate each other yeah. um is is causing real problems and we're and we're really seeing those now yeah we got about two minutes left uh, and then we have to break for news so tell me about your book twisting title nine i give the last two minutes to you oh sure well, twisting title nine is a, is a short uh, i promise it's short it's only about 50 pages uh, oh, okay and cheap uh book you can get it on amazon and it's um it's basically my attempt to explain to folks, because a lot of folks are um, concerned about um, what Title IX has, has become, um, which is sort of this all-encompassing um, uh, imperative to universities and, and even to um, 
to K through 12 schools uh, to seem to turn everything, um, you know, all of their efforts towards fighting quote unquote harassment. Um, and that's involved, obviously harassment, you know, needs to be fought, but um, this, this idea that, you know, almost anything you disagree with, again, I mean, is, is some form of harassment if it makes you uncomfortable um, and has anything to do in the case of Title IX with sex, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of that. And you know, we've gotten to the point it. where you're treating any disagreement as um, some form of discrimination. <laughs> so that's the way it was back uh, in uh, 20, uh, 2017. You know, I, I wasn't very good at, at uh, telling hosts how much time they had. I mean, guests, and, and guests are not particularly good at time. <laughs> when I say well, I have 15 seconds, I really mean 15 seconds. It's really kind of funny. Anyway, CG's on the line, but I just want to play a couple things real quickly here. To, to keep us all organized, and uh, she'll be here top of the hour. And then away we go. Let me see if I can find a couple of things. In fact, I have a question on, on my energy drink uh, ad, so I'll get to her with that. Uh, I got some questions on sleep today, uh, or the lack thereof, which I'm, I seem to be experiencing, uh, a couple other things, and I'm sure she has a ton of fun things to talk about with, our, our, uh, with her reports at CJ's Wellness Watch. And we'll be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Right your laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engines. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. So I'm going to bring on CJ now with CJ's Wellness. And I've got to, uh, I got to make her a theme. And so everybody, everybody gets a theme here. So what I want to do is play a couple of my, my previous wellness themes and see if, we can, uh, if I can get some of your preferences here as to how we might go creating a theme for you. So we used to have Chancey Terry. Chancey Terry, I don't know if you're in touch with her or not, um, but she has a wellness report. We used to call it Wine, Weed, and Wellness which caused a little controversy with some of our more conservative reporters. It was kind of funny. So this Uh is one thing. Here's theme A. What is health? What does it take to stay healthy? We have a longer lifespan than 100 years ago. 
but is the quality of life any better? A hundred years ago, their food was better. They got more exercise. They weren't as fat. They didn't have preservatives, antidepressants, sugar in everything, and they didn't have vaccines. If you talk about alternative health care, people think of crystals, incense, strange candles, crystal balls, Ouija boards, notions, potions, lotions, and total hippies telling you to detox, man. So let's change our system of sick care into wellness. Let's get healthy. Let's lower our stress, stop taking in poisons, eat and drink organic, clean food, and let's have a chat with Chancy Terry, because this is Wine, Weed, and Wellness Wednesday. So Chancy's not here today. This is just, I'm playing this as an experiment here. I, in fact, I thought it was literally uh, after you uh, you called the show, and I was thinking, well, what can I do for this different and fun? So that's one. Um, so, uh-huh. so Chancy, Chancy's part of the family. So the thing is, once you're part of the Action Radio family, you know, you're always part. And when you go to other things, you want to come back, you know, I don't care. <laughs> so we're, you, know, you know, once here, you're here. Um, so, so, but uh, as, as far as content goes, uh, is that something that would, uh, you know, I can change the script, of course, put your name in it, uh, things like that. Would that be, uh, was that an interesting idea for you, sort of a theme like that? I like, like it. I like okay. it. Okay. I like it. Because right, I try I'm, to incorporate I'm, all the good I'm words. on board with it. Okay. Well, let me give you another one here. This was Cindy Cagle's theme, and she used to do the Medical Freedom Report. And, of course, she'll come back here, too, anytime uh, as well. So let me play you this one, and then you can talk to me off the air if you want, or we can, we can talk about it now. But i got to get you a theme, too. So here's the one I made for her. Informed consent, the ability to receive the truth for your medical care, and the ability to consent freely to any medical procedure or not based on the truthful information received has completely disappeared in this era of medical, big government, big tech, big pharma, fascism. There are many warriors coming forward to try and keep your medical freedom. This is so you won't be forced to ever wear a mask. And you won't be forced through a government mandate to inject your body with a dangerous experimental gene therapy purposely and deceitfully called a vaccine. Medical freedom is when you aren't forced into anything that violates your individual rights. Join us now as one of those warriors of medical freedom talks about the latest victories and the struggles yet to be won. Join us now for the Medical Freedom Report with Cindy Cagle. So I kind of see you as both of those, both medical freedom and wellness. And so this one I wanted to play both of them and, and see what you thought. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we could talk about that off air. I like maybe trying to figure out a combination of both of those. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. So we can pick music. You can use one of those. We can just do another script um, and uh, and work something out. But I like it. I kind of like introducing people with a theme. Some of them are pretty outrageous. <laughs> you know, had, <laughs> now that I'm on my theme, because I like to play themes I haven't heard for a while. So I'm hoping to get Shelby back. Shelby was our cruise and travel reporter. So just let <laughs> me tell you this one. This one's kind of fun. Hang on. Here, here we go. Yeah, man. Come with Shelby to faraway places, wonderful beaches, exotic foods, meet new and fascinating people as Action Radio cruise and travel reporter Shelby Fennett takes you to where dreams become your reality and experiences become your best memories. Yeah, man. Here we go. 
Yeah, don't you want to go to the Caribbean now? Wouldn't that be a good time? We have fun. We climbed the coconut tree. <laughs> oh, I love that. That so, is so, so good. Yeah, I can only play oh, these I like it. when the reporters are here. So I mean, but I've, I learned how to do. In fact, this is the only thing I really went to school for. Uh, for radio was uh, was production, and because I figured I was going to be a producer before I got my own show. Now it turned out differently. I actually got my own show first, but uh, I learned how to use Adobe Audition, which is what the what the big guys use. Uh, and of course, they do most of their yeah. shows pre-programmed, pre-planned. I don't everything we do is live, except for things like our themes and our like Biden's you yeah. know <laughs> you know winter or Biden's dark winter, one of my my nasty little pieces. But that's kind of right. the sarcastic things we do. But uh, so these are fun, and so it kind of livens things yeah. up a little bit. So I gotta I gotta make one for you because because now you know once you've been here a few weeks, you know like I say you're in. <laughs> so yeah. I have some fun with that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it in some more detail. Okay. I. Uh... I actually kind of like, you know, since I'm very petite in stature, um, I actually kind of like, you know, I love when, when I've been to the islands in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I really love doing the limbo. So, you know, and I, I, I love to dance and do all those fun things. So maybe we have to do something with the limbo. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Are you flexible enough? Can you do a limbo? Because I can't. I'm like six one, and it doesn't work. No, I'm a big guy. <laughs> Not my specialty. <laughs> yes, I can do the limbo. Wow. Well, we definitely yeah. have to meet that. I want, I want to see this. I want video. So we're going to put this on video, folks. <laughs> we're going to put CJ's limbo class. <laughs> so we'll get the right music for you. But I, I can use that theme. But, uh, you know, I usually like to pick different music. Everybody sort of gets their own theme. So we'll yeah. find uh, we'll, we'll find yeah. something for you there. Yeah. Okay. So i got a couple things on my mind. Uh, I know you've got tons of things on your mind. But yeah. um, one, of the, one of the first ones, uh, sleep. I want to talk about sleep for a few minutes because mm-hmm. I'm – like groggy today you know i have a weird sleep yeah. cycle usually like four and a half hours at night and then about two hours after the show and so i actually split okay sleep. and this seems to work out really well for me except for yesterday when i didn't get my two hours after the show because uh, i had a million things to do right. and i also did i did a video presentation last night uh it was with the the santa rosa community theater folks for about an hour and we're on stage we're having a blast and of course then i can't sleep then i come home and practice guitar that that's gets my adrenaline going, so I'm rocking out like crazy. That's right. my outlet, you know, and I was bike riding and everything else. And, and between all the work and all the other stuff, I never got, I never found my extra two hours. So today I'm like, uh, okay, you know what actually helped? Well, playing that music actually perked me up a bit because I was getting, I was feeling a little groggy. But is it, um, you know, what's the latest recommendations on sleep? And, you know, is it viable to do what I'm doing? Which seems to work for me. You know, do like a four and a half hour, two hour split. Obviously. Yeah. What do you think? Obviously, if it's, if it's working for you, it's working for you, right? But as mm-hmm. as a general statement, my advice to people is to not take that afternoon nap slump. It's almost like totally unrelated, but the same concept in my mind of, mm-hmm. okay, you need that 3 o'clock pick-me-up of caffeine or sugar or, you know, something like that because – I'd rather have people go to bed earlier and get the appropriate sleep. And it's not always about the hours of sleep, but the quality of, of, of sleep. And that's been oh, I sleep um, like a rock. an issue. <laughs> it's not a problem. Huh? Quality is not an issue for me. I mean, if I'm, you know, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't remember going to sleep. I mean, my head's, you know, before I hit the pillow, pretty much, I'm, I'm, I'm already out. Right. <laughs> you know, I go yeah. sleep right here on my yeah. desk that, well, and, and let you just talk to yourself if, if I wanted to. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. A lot of people don't, don't, don't do that. But, you know, that's just kind of my opinion. And, and I'm preaching to the choir for myself because uh-huh. when I, I sleep well, 
but I right. am a late night person. I mean, I mm-hmm. prefer to sleep in in the morning. I do my best. Like usually because I have puppies at home, I I usually I'm I'm always up before eight. Like sometimes it seems seven eight. Mm-hmm. There are those rare mm-hmm. cases I'll sleep to eight thirty or nine, which is which is a rare a rare thing. Um, but I think too because I spend time with my daughter and whatnot that in the evening, and because I do other podcasts, it's just. I'm just in that you mode. You do other podcasts? You, you have a life beyond action radio? Oh, now you tell me. Great. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but anyway, you know, so so my personal opinion and what I've seen is that I like people to go to bed, like, go to bed earlier rather than taking that 3 to 5 o'clock nap. But, again, if it works for you, it works for you. You know, well, I think it's kind of interesting, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, it's a siesta thing, and so. But here's why it works, though. Because yeah. well, here's what happened yesterday. Is, is here's another thing I forgot to tell you um, that uh, I, I goofed. I had my alarm clock, and I hit the the daylight savings button, so it actually was an hour ahead. <laughs> so, so I, oh I, normally God. I get up normally wow. I get up at four in the morning for the show. Uh, yesterday I got up uh-huh. at three in the morning, and I was awake till like eleven thirty. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, you're no kidding. Okay. But I felt fine until eleven wow. thirty, and it's like, well, I'm really tired now. You know, and I, you know, but, right? uh, but I need those hours. I can't do the show, and I, I don't mind getting up in the middle of the night. I can, I'm, I'm good with three. I'm good with four. That's not a problem. I'm just not an afternoon person. So those hours that that like twelve mm-hmm. to four, you know, noon to four o'clock time just really is good for me. And and so I just, I mean, I work, oh, yeah. I do stuff. I just, but I'm just not there. So I'm a night person and a morning person. So you know, That's most people are either one or the other, and I'm both. I'm just not an afternoon person. Okay, which happens to be in the middle. Yeah. You know, so now what do I do? Right. 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 Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if it's working for you, you do what works for you. Most of my clients usually, they have the issue where they're not getting enough sleep or the sleep that they're getting isn't mm-hmm. a REM sleep, like a deep sleep. And that's, you know, that's a big deal. Obviously, that's not an issue for you. Um, but even if you're sleeping, say, five hours, which really is not enough sleep, if mm-hmm. you're getting a REM sleep, it's about the quality of sleep, you know, then a lot of times people are fine, even though I don't encourage people to get five hours of sleep. Well, what's what's, what's um, recommended these days? What's the latest thought on sleep? I still rec- recommend six to eight hours. Six is a bare minimum. Yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep eight hours. I, I, you know, I've tried it. I'm groggy. You know, for children, uh, it's you know, eight to nine, depending on the age. Well, I could do it then. <laughs> when I was a kid, I could sleep 10 hours. Yeah. I was fine. You know, but nowadays right. I find uh, six and a half is like perfect. Yeah. Well, that's good. That is perfect. Okay. That's, 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 that's the great number. Again, as long as, you know, and you're getting apparently the quality of sleep, the REM sleep that you need where a lot of people don't get that. It's a six hour, six and a half hour of rest. It's not actual deep, you know, sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'll work on it. I mean, I, I could go sleep earlier, but like I said, there's guitars to play. There's always something to do. The show takes an amazing mm-hmm. amount of time. You know, when, when I get uh, mm-hmm. a, a major sponsor and I can hire a producer, that's going to help tremendously uh, with a lot of administrative stuff that I won't have to do anymore. So that's going to be huge. Right. Um, so I get, I get my six and a half, but it's like four and a half and then two. And so ideally I'll try. Right. I'd like to try, but I have to go to sleep pretty early because if, if I, I need – here's another thing too, this question. So there's awake and then there's functional. So I can be awake at, you know, six in the morning and, and to do the show at seven, but I'm not functional. 
I need like a right. couple of hours. I mean, I do some prep in that time. So the show is usually prepped the night before, or at least a lot, at least I pretty much know what I'm going to do. But those three hours right. uh, between four and seven before I do the show, you know, I got my tea, I got, you know, breakfast and sometimes lunch because I'm, I'm doing the intermittent fasting thing. Um, but that's really productive. It's probably my most productive time of the day is between four in the morning and seven. Yeah. Well, if you if you contacted me to be productive between four and seven in the morning, I'd have to hurt you. Because <laughs> you're like four and seven at night, <laughs> or or seven yeah. and ten or something, or what? Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I think you blasted my microphone, and my ears suddenly went to when you went ah. <laughs> that might short circuit on the podcast. We'll find out. Okay, fine. So obviously we have a different schedule. So uh, you know, this is why we email. So I'll send my email at 4 in the morning, and you'll read it at 10 o'clock at night. That's okay. That works. Yeah, that works. That works. So has that yeah, facilitated right. communications? Because, you know, and actually, I never thought of this until just now. But in the old days, you had to call people. I mean, that was pretty much it. You could send a letter, but, you know, it would take several days. Um, but, uh, but phone calls were the most immediate. You actually had to schedule your life around people you had to call, especially if they were in different time zones, because there, there was really no other effective communication. And now we've got social media and now we've got emails and things like that. And you can, or texting, you can send a text and you don't care when they get it as long as it's like within a day or so, you know, it's generally okay, but people can read it when they work and, and then you can send it when you're working. Um, so that's really changed a lot of our, our, we can still get our sleep now. Actually, has that created more leisure time? Or are people just working harder, so it sort of cancels itself out? I think it cancels itself out, personally. Okay. How come? Um, Well, first of all, backpedaling a little bit. I think it's a whole thing of people are communicating, obviously, differently these days, and people are tuned into technology way Mm -hmm. more than what, so they always have a device or something, you know, on them. Therefore, that's why I said, said what I do, you know. It, it's like most people, it's either business or kids, right? So you're, you're constantly mm-hmm. tuned into that te- technology all the time, you know, and you have it with you. It's one of those things, right? If you don't have it with you, you turn the car around to go get it because many of us don't have landlines and stuff like that anymore. So I think the whole texting um, is, is um, very, very prevalent right now, and people respond very quickly. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My, I, my ringer, I, I don't have my ringer of my phone on, you know. So I'll, if it, if I'm if I see it light up, that's fine. But I, I don't. I'm unusual, I think, in the aspect I don't answer the phone if I'm not in phone mode. So that's why you know, right. text or email me, um, because I do. I take that break from technology. If I'm working on something, I want to work on it. I don't yeah. want to be constantly interrupted. So which leads to the next right. question. And is that are we being distracted too much and we're not giving enough time to focus on one thing and finish it and then pick up something else? So people are working a lot, but actually they might be accomplishing less because they're interrupted so many times with their technology. That they right. Concentrate. What do you think? Oh, I can totally relate to that. I think that's okay. true. I right. can totally relate to that because huh. probably like yourself and many people today, um, and, 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 and I'm probably going to care, care – Categorize or stereotype, which I really don't mean to do, but yeah, I'm going to say it. Um, it. Go for you it. Know, it's like unless you have like a nine to five and you don't have your phone with you and you're working in a in a building or somewhere wherever you don't have those distractions, right? You have tasks that you have to do. If you're mm-hmm. on task, you get a lunch break, then you check your phone, then you get off, then you get in the car, check your phone, go home. You know, if you've got that sort of um, a a set schedule like that, that does not change every day. It's pretty much the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
I can't be a distraction, you know, but mm. for people like us who, and there are a lot of people that work from home, but I know a lot of people that work from home, you know, that work for companies, right? And they have to put their mm-hmm. personal phone down or check it over lunch or whatever. But I think for people like us, and I'll say obviously myself included, absolutely a distraction. Mm. So that's why for me personally, the way I function best, and it's not the best way to, but I function better under pressure. I'm not a procrastinator, mm-hmm. but I work better if I know I've got three hours to get something done. If I have two weeks to get something done, I'll get my information together. I'll collect it. I might not get the, not get the finished thing done, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm always distracted because I homeschool and I have 10,000 things, you know, going going on and um, where, where I live in North Carolina. I don't have family here. Like, it's just me and my daughter. So, mm-hmm. you know, in case of family calling or whatever, you know, right. I always have my phone on me, you know, or at my desk. And so, absolutely, do I think it can be a distraction to productivity? And then this brings in the whole subject of educating ourselves on the whole radiation thing and having the protection on your phone and, mm-hmm. you know, considering meters on your house because we are constantly tuned tuned in and a lot of our devices are a distraction and like I said for me for me included no it makes sense in fact I was just looking for an article right now um, that has uh, we've got uh, where is it oh, here we go yeah this is from uh, the Defender which is uh, Robert Francis Kennedy's um, organization Children's De- uh, Defense and it says top scientists find substantial scientific evidence RF radiation that's from cell phones causes cancer now I've known about this for years because I had a friend who was in high tech so I knew back in the 80s uh, when cell phones were oh, first wow. starting nice. to, to come out, she told me, she says, look, these things have radiation in them. She says, use earbuds, you know, use speakers. I says, she says, don't put this up to your head. I said, you got it. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate the help. And I've never done it. I've never, yeah. I've never, I've always used speakers. And, you know, uh, this is why I don't sound so good on the phone sometimes is because I put it on a stack of books and, uh, you know, keep it away from me. I don't even touch it when, I, when, it, when it's on. Um, I also try not to wow. answer. Nice. Well, I don't answer the phone during the show either. Uh, if someone texts me or calls, if it's an emergency or if it's a guest, Sometimes I have to because sometimes guests will call my cell phone rather than call the show. That's embarrassing, <laughs> but it happens. Um, but but I don't you know. But I don't want to be so distracted. I think I did that once before, and you you politely corrected me. Yeah, I would do that. <laughs> I try to be polite, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and so it happens. And so that's okay. But th- that would be the only time I would I would answer something. But I get texts and things and you know Facebook stuff, and it's always doing news stories. I don't even know how those got on the phone. But I, you know you have to ignore those because I'm concentrating on the show. Because what happens here is critical, and even I'm, I'm sometimes guilty of uh, of you know I hear something I get to it and then I miss a point and then I have to ask it's like Gee, sorry. Anyway, let's talk about cancer for a bit, and then of course I want to get to what you, what you want to talk about. But this phone thing, and we can cover more next week. Just give you a quick uh, quick little synopsis here. Uh, this is based on the results of their landmark review of the latest science. Four of the world's top experts in environmental health called for prevention and precaution when it comes to public exposure to radio frequency. That'd be RF, radio frequency radiation. Okay, so uh, so what is what is that? I'm not going to read the. I'll cover the article another time. But what 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 is RF? Why what's it about cell phones that makes them, uh, you know, create cancer? Well, like I said, if you say, it's kind of a conundrum. My head's going in a couple different um, ways right now. You know, okay. if you if you dumb it down and think about radiation, right? Mm-hmm. Women who go in and and you have um, you have mammograms done, or you're putting a CT scan. I mean, you're exposed to radiation. Now, 
it might mm-hmm. be slightly different, but we're constantly exposed to radiation. I mean, we have the towers, right, for communicating. We've got those EMS, those signals that come through that go into our brain, you mm-hmm. know, and fry our brain. And, you know, the question, Literally. again, yeah. yeah, I mean, the question becomes, I, I mean, truly, how do you get away from it in today's world? I don't have that answer. All you can do is use the things that we know that, like you said, and take some of the precautionary steps to minimize mm-hmm. it because we're not getting away from it. Like I said, hardly any people have landlines anymore. The way of communication is the phone. We always have a computer or a phone or something, right, on us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I try to, like, while I'm talking to you right now, I only have one, one earbud in, like, one ear. So I, I do my best not to use wireless earbuds, but I do minimally. I do. I absolutely do. But a lot of times, like, during the day or if I'm working out and I want to listen to music, whatever, like I put, I will put wired um, headphones in, you know, and that makes a slight, slight bit of, of, of difference. But mm-hmm. also on the back of my phone, I have, you know, you can Google them, a lot of our podcasters and patriots, and you might have had somebody on your show already, you know, but they have the little stickers and the little things that you can put on your devices to help block or bounce off the radiation before it comes through your device, you know, the level of which those work. I, I mean, I don't know, but stuff like that that's out there, it's better to have it. And it's one of the things, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. If it might do something, I'm going to have it and I'm going to put it on, you know. So, um, but, we're, we're, but, but there's no way that I'm aware of to get around it, you know, unless you do not have a cell phone. You do not have a computer, but then you're still exposed to radiation just from the atmosphere and around around your home. I love, oh, you know a lot of people have all, you know, yeah, uh, solar exactly. radi- sun is radiation. Uh, if you're ever around a radio, you know, as a as a flight yeah. instructor and a pilot in a small airplane, you know, you've got headphones on, you got a radio, but it's by cable, right. and so there's a difference. I think the danger is Correct. is when it goes it goes through the air. So in other words, the radiation has to travel through the air. So Wi-Fi, for example, my computer, I can't do the show without a computer. It's sitting right in front of me. It's got my screen. It's got my information. Right. It's got you. It's got your, you know, you're, you're on right. the board. And I've got all these audio things I play. I can't do the show without that. I've got all kinds of computer right. stuff. I've got my template for the show. I've got my phone numbers. Uh, there's like five things I use all the time, plus all my, uh, my, my stories at the bottom of the computer. So that's essential. However, right. my computer is not Wi-Fi. It's on, the Wi-Fi is off. It's on an Ethernet. It's on a cable. So the radiation yeah, is contained that's, in the cable. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I reduce my good. Wi-Fi. My phone is about three to four feet away from me all the time, unless I'm talking on it, in which Ooh. case it's maybe a foot away, but I don't put it up to my head. When I have it in my pocket, yeah. you know, I have, it, you know, have my wallet in between. So it's like you know, uh, three-quarters of an inch to an inch of space between that and my body, and that, th- that space makes a huge difference because the radiation is right next to it. But if you get an inch away from it, it's reduced like 95%. So it drops really right. drastically as you get for, so they're just little simple precautions. Put your, put the wall, put your wallet, you know, between your, your, your phone and your body. Don't have it next to your body. You know, and if, if you're exactly. a woman and you don't carry a wallet, then uh, put something else, put something in your pocket, you know, check oh, yeah. your card. And I've heard Anything. a lot of people, you know, and uh-huh. I've told women and um, this happened. I mean, this was a prevalent issue. Um, several years ago that came out and it makes sense when everybody started talking about radiation and EMF and I think most people are aware of it now but for women specifically but both men and women like you're saying you know just having it on your skin but 
a lot of women used to carry, now not me, I, I never did this, it just never made sense to me, but I know mm-hmm. some women that would put their, their phones like right in between their bra and their skin, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like just to wow. put that radiation right there all the time? I mean, that, I remember reading so many articles. I mean, I mean, you know, and and again, we can only be as diligent as, as we can be. You know, lots of times if I'm walking around the house or something, I'll put it on speaker. I have one of those little eye rings. So sometimes if I'm in the kitchen, I do hold it by the eye ring and I have it on speaker. Um, and, you know, my daughter is on the phone a lot, but she's usually has it on mm-hmm. her desk, not holding it up to her ear, and it's on speaker, exactly. you know, and yep. what, whatever. Um, but it's just it's just one of those things, you know, most women mm-hmm. carry it up, uh, in their purse or something like that, so at least you have your purse in between you and your body. It's not on your body. You know what I mean? So Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Again, yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the other things is <laughs> I was just talking about this the other day with, with someone is that, both my daughter and I, we really do need new cell phones. Like they're starting to glitch and blah blah blah. And we have like mm. an iPhone eight, 8 which is an older model. And one right. of them, and it, they work. It's just they're starting to be sluggish. I mean, they're several years old. The only well, they slow them down. They, uh, they have an expiration. They 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 take away the programs. They slow them down. In fact, I got to get some right. apps off mine. I've got an SE, which is uh, you know, it's like after they're paid for, it's like how much time can I keep this phone before they turn it off? <laughs> You know, so right. that's the golden that's the golden time for your phone between when it's paid for uh, and when you have to get a new one and start the payments again. It's like, oh geez, okay. You but know, my but point I like my is, phone. like my phone mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. to the best of my uh, knowledge, like when I turn on the settings and stuff, mine is set on LTE. So I What's don't, that? and I'm not a tech, I'm not a tech person. It's not set on 5G. I don't even oh. know that my yeah. So when I go into settings now, whether it's picking up 5G or not, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a tech person. I really don't know. But mm-hmm. in my phone, when I see what, what, what it's tuned into, it'll say LTE. Because um, I've looked it up. How do I keep my phone off of 5G if you have an older model, blah, blah, blah. And so my daughter and I have the same phone. And mm-hmm. I know with the newer phone, you don't have an LTE option. There is no I don't, I don't see it on mine. I've got, an, I've got an SE, you know, an iPhone SE, which is a good phone, small. Yeah. Well, you know, but I don't see a setting. Yeah. For, I don't see a 5G setting. So, yeah, okay. Just curious. Yeah, yeah so huh. if you have an older model, you have that option. And if, But if you get a newer model, you don't have that. It's almost like the home buttons, right? After a certain model, the home buttons go away because now they want all of the fingerprint. I mean, I guess you have the fingerprint, yeah, here on mine, too, with the home button, you know, and the security code, whatever, but... Now mm-hmm. they want facial recognition. They want all the tap stuff and all, all this. So for those reasons, I have just, I mean, I don't know, maybe until I can't make a phone call anymore. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I'm not in a hurry to get yeah. another new, you know, a newer version of the phone, you know? Makes sense to me, you know, and like I say, I've got mine. It's, it's now back three feet away and just use it sparingly, uh, and it seems okay. But I think technology, if we use technology, it's one thing. If technology uses us, <laughs> then we've got a problem. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's yeah. the distinction. Okay. So, so what was on your mind for today? I don't want to monopolize our whole, our whole conversation this morning. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. So uh-huh. I had some um, interesting uh, conversations uh, this this week, and I know we left off when we were talking before. We were talking a lot about sugars. We were talking a lot about wine. We had a bunch of different um, um, subjects 
Uh, yeah, we do that. We multitask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We multi brain yeah. task, I guess. Yeah. Is, is, we need a word for it, but yeah. Okay. Multi subject yeah. task. So, task. Mm-hmm. But I guess, um, sorry, I had to take a sip of, sip of my filtered water here. We, we call that a, um, a Marco Rubio break. You know, when you have to drink water at an inappropriate time, we call that a Rubio break. <laughs> do you remember his oh, okay. State of the Union? Okay, he, he was. He did the. Yeah. No, it's okay. I don't care. He did the Republican response to the State of the Union. Everybody made, everybody made fun of him because he was losing his voice. He took a drink of water. They should just incorporate it right into the speech. You know, everybody else does. But anyway, that's so. So I'm gonna take a Rubio break too. I'll take a drink of water. You can talk. Feel free. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I believe it. Believe it or not, um, uh-huh. like I said, two of the topics that have been hot for me this week have been the whole REM sleep thing and oh, when your good. body does the most repair and things, things like that, which is, which is really good. And then okay. um, a few of the top toxic foods by many, many doctors in this movement, i.e. naturopathic doctors um, okay. that I totally agree with. And there were a lot of the foods that I was very well aware about and then there were like two or three that, honest to goodness, I had no idea. Um, I, I, I didn't really, uh, I, it didn't cross my, cross my mind. So um, just for your listeners' sake, some of these, like I said, are common sense. Some of them maybe you would not have thought about. I'm on my list this week, because I'm actually, after we get off the phone, I'm actually packing up the car and we're headed to Pennsylvania. So actually okay. Virginia and then Pennsylvania tomorrow. So. But I'm going to dive into um, pretty much the ones that I am not real familiar with and dive into the reasons why. But okay. some of them, uh, I'll just run through, and we've talked a lot about gluten in the past. Right. And the, um, the combative, I don't like that word, but the combative answer a lot of people will say, well, I don't have a gluten intolerance. Well, I don't have a gluten intolerance. I don't need to stay away from gluten. In my in my professional opinion, that's irrelevant. Gluten is okay. not good for the human body. Period. Um, well, it sounds you like have glue. Gluten... It sounds like glue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. glue's not good for you. Well, it really so... disrupts. It really uh-huh. disrupts the digestive tract. Again, uh-huh. whether you have a sensitivity to it or not. Right. So the top gluten product uh-huh. to avoid is wheat, barley rye and oats and so you know, we did talk about convention yeah the we grains, did talk basically. about conventional oats before right. yeah they're, uh-huh. they're they're all grains but those top four you know um now i don't know um i'm gonna do some research you know i agree with the whole oats thing because they're sprayed and all the things i don't i would assume that that concept carries over to steel cut oats because we have purchased you know we purchased steel cut oats in our home um, mm-hmm. not, and we don't use it that often at all, but we have it, right? Um, it's like one of those emergency foods, you know, it takes a to boil water if you have absolutely have yeah, it. Yeah, so I have a couple a, of soup cans for a hurricane, you know. So, I mean, I actually have a lot of them. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, so, not, that, it's not a staple in our home. You know, no. we don't even have steel oats once a month. So, mm-hmm. But as a, as a general rule, mm-hmm. wheat, barley, rye, and oats are the top four foods that contain the highest amount of gluten that everybody should stay, stay away from. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then the, the fifth thing is, you know, we've always talked about 
carbonated drinks. And decades ago, I used mm-hmm. to drink all the wrong carbonated drinks because I didn't right. know right in my younger days. Mm-hmm. And so as I became more aware, I started to try to find healthier options. And there are a handful of healthier options out there now. You know, you got some probiotic drinks that are good. You have Zevia, which is um, a soda made with actual stevia um, that we do drink on occasion, and we do buy. It's not like we drink six a day or anything like that. But um, drinking a carbonated beverage during during a meal or right before a meal, it will actually neutralize your stomach acid. So. When, so you can't digest food when, then? When you, is that the problem? Correct. Correct. Huh. So if you eat food after you've drank yeah. it, it will induce and cause, can potentially cause, like a lot of acid reflux. So, and so, food cannot pass through the stomach quickly. So what's, so let's talk about carbonation. What it is. So carbon is basically carbon dioxide. You know, we are carbon-based right. life forms. So they infuse these drinks with a gas do they put it under pressure to make it bubble? How, do you know the process of how they make a drink carbonated? I think that's part of the process, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's why, like, sometimes you'll have people, and I've done this, where I, I've opened up a can of um, a Zevia soda, and mm-hmm. I'll let it go flat because it causes you to, you know, to burst and belt and, you know, the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. But, 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 you know, and sometimes we do it on purpose, right, just to be funny. But um, Oh, yeah, I've done that. Uh, like I said, <laughs> Yeah, me too. Me too. But a lot of times, like I said, it 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 causes acid reflux, and your food can't pass through the stomach very quickly, and it starts to ferment, pushing your food back up. So, so my question was: so if you want to drink a bubbly drink, you can drink it. Drink it during the day, like not without food, or you know, two hours before you're going to have food, or like the French. Think about it; they have champagne, right? But they have champagne. I was just thinking champagne. They, yeah, that was my question. Yeah, yeah they, okay. they right. have that after they've eaten food. So having oh. a carbonated beverage afterwards makes makes a difference. You know, now I wouldn't, you know, eat and then ten minutes later have your champagne. You know, um, you know, I don't think that that would be a wise wise thing to do. You know, but having some time afterwards and then having your bubbly drink or drinking your healthier choice probiotic drink or healthy soda, whatever, during the day when you are not eating mm-hmm. um, is a much better option. So if you have acid reflux, your best bet is to choose your carbonated beverages, if you, if you drink them, if you don't drink them, this is, not, this is not a concern for you. If you drink them, just to time them appropriately and make sure you are salting your food using a sea salt or a pink Himalayan sea salt. So these will be the things that will, that will help reduce the potential for acid reflux. Okay, let's let's think this through for a little bit here. Is it is it the if you let the drink go flat, does that mean that the carbon dioxide has then returned to the air and it's not there anymore? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so so let's so if you don't do that and you drink carbon dioxide, you drink you're basically drinking a gas, which then goes into your stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to take up space. We know that, and that's why you burp. But is the carbon dioxide itself? Because carbon dioxide is meant to be expelled through your lungs. You know, you breathe in oxygen, mm-hmm. and uh, body processes produce carbon dioxide. You breathe out the carbon dioxide. But if the carbon dioxide is in your stomach where it's not supposed to be, that's not natural. 
that's not a natural place for carbon sure. dioxide to go. So think about it, that's why people burp, right? That's right, exactly, because it's not supposed to be there. So my question is, um, does, is it the carbon dioxide itself that is neutralizing your stomach acid? Because acid is neutralized by a base. So what is the base product, um, or is it something in the soda itself that is neutralizing your stomach acids? Or is it the carbon dioxide itself? Is it breaking down into It's the something? carbon dioxide bubbles. It's the carbon dioxide bubbles that so actually neutralize your stomach acid. Yeah. Okay. So if I had hydrochloric yeah. acid in a, in, a, in a beaker, you know, let's go back to high school chemistry, wearing my 50 glasses, and, and uh, I bubbled carbon dioxide through it, what would happen? Hmm. Right? Well, that's what I'm asking. Well, let's have some fun. Let me, let, me, let me write down the formula. So hydrochloric acid, HCl, right, plus CO2. Let's see what I get here. Uh, I got a carbohydrate. So, so hydrogen, uh, hydrochloric acid. Wait a minute, no, it's H2SO. No, that's sulfuric. Uh, what's hydrochloric? Chloric. What's my the chlorine atom? It's, no, it is Cl. Because sodium is Na, so Cl is chlorine. So HCl. I'm trying to do I'm trying to do high school chemistry here. I'm not good at it. <laughs> so we combine them in. You so now you got two. So now you got. <laughs> so now you've got a hydrogen atom. You got a chlorine atom. You've got a carbon atom, you've got an ox- and you've got two oxygen atoms. I'll play with it later. <laughs> but uh, I've got HClCO2. Right. <laughs> you know, so I've got two, so carbon dioxide uh, and, cl- no, so chlorine, I have, to look at, I have to look at the chlorine atom. I'll see what it comes into. I'll, I'll put it in the computer and see what happens someday. <laughs> Not right okay. now. All right. Yeah. But anyway, there is a um, base product created that neutralizes the acid. So, the, so your stomach's hydrochloric acid, uh, and that, that digests food. And the, the, that's being neutralized with the bubbles. Okay, so I just find it fascinating. I, you know, I like to get technical sometimes. And yeah, explore yeah these that's things. why, like I said, one of my things is I'm uh-huh. going to dig into some more of the specific ones. I wanted to, um, I don't mean uh-huh. to catch up, but I wanted to go through like one or two other ones because there's like 12 oh, more. But one of the other ones I no, found, no, yeah, I one them. of the other ones yeah. I found, found really interesting um, huh? is oil in a bottle. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but so here's, here's my thing, and I have this conversation. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it, not just like olive oil, but any oil in a bottle, because I'm like, well, in my home, we use avocado and coconut oil. Those are the oils that we use in, the, in, my, in my home. And I use ghee butter um, on a lot of, lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm sauteing vegetables in a pan, I will put in avocado oil or coconut oil, something like that. Well, all oil, all oil, once it's in an oil form, and I'm mm-hmm. going to dive into the science of this, in a bottle, it right. actually has a lot of free radicals. Okay. So we got ions. We so, got radicals. Okay, so I know what those are. Yeah, so, we've talked about those before. Uh-huh. So what you want to do, is, which is interesting, I'm like, oh, no, you know, um, avocado, unless you're actually squeezing oil from an avocado or you're taking, you have an olive tree in your yard and you're squeezing the olive oil into the pan, mm-hmm. if it's in a bottle, you don't want to use it. You're better off, and this makes me sick to my stomach, but it's just, it is a fact just because, uh, you know, I tend to eat mostly vegetables and fish. But you're mm-hmm. better off from that perspective using um, an animal-based fat to fry or not fry, but to, you know, saute vegetables are in a, in a pan. 
You know what like I mean? Like butter? So, or using, <laughs> yeah, yeah, using, yeah, but also, like, there's some other ones that um, I think we, we discussed. I can't remember what they were, but, but like butter or even using bee butter or a clarified butter. That, okay. That's the better option versus bacon oil. Fat? You know what I'm thinking? Can you put bacon fat well, in there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Love bacon fat vegetables. Yeah. Ever have beans and bacon fat? Oh, with especially some bacon thrown in? Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, then you got the carbonated belt coming from the front, and you got the other stuff coming from the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's You're a combination here. and a half, right? Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so much of the family show today. No, <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I just like. I no, don't be sorry. Are you like, kidding? Okay. We got, I love stuff we got like the beans. We got fun. the carbonation. Boy. We're, we've got, we, we're we've got all the bases huh? covered. I, I guess you say we have all the bases covered. <laughs> uh, <sighs> but that was a really, really interesting one that all oils in a so glass what do you jar. The uh, Is it the glass itself that reacts? Is it the glass itself that reacts with the oil or that it's sitting for too long or what's the problem? My guess, without doing my research, is that mm-hmm. it's been sitting, you know, and there's something in, you know what I mean? It's just been mm-hmm. sitting like that. It's not, yeah, you know, and it's been exposed to air at one point in time, right? So. Yeah. We're running out of I salad mean, dressings. You know, we, we can't have soybean oil because that's all GMO. That's horrible. You know, we can't have canola oil because that's a seed grain. We can't have that. You know, we're losing olive oil because it's been sitting in the bottle too long. I'm running out of salad dressings. I know. Well, that's one of the things, you know, when I was doing this, one of the, um, one of the individuals uh-huh. who was listening who asked a question was like, well, what can I use for my salad? And I'm like, you know, that's a really good question. Before this conversation, I was like, I always buy the, the brand Primal. I think I, we mentioned this brand on the uh, Primal Kitchen or Primal Foods. Um, uh-huh. I have a lot of their stuff, um, and I, I actually want to connect with them if I can and see if they respond, respond to me. But all their ingredients are very, very clean, at least I thought they, they were, uh, with their salad dressings. However, another thing that you can use, and I've recommended this to my clients, um, that I can't do tomatoes personally because they cause me some challenges. That's one of my food sensitivities. But mm-hmm. you can put any type of salsas, are really good salsas and nature seasoning on mm-hmm. your salad. So say you could use a pineapple salsa, a mango salsa, a regular salsa, because you know, papaya salsa, <clears throat> I've seen it without the uh, tomatoes, like just with the onions and the cilantro and the papaya, or mm. like your regular salsa where you've got your tomatoes, you've got your onions, you've got the juice from there. So salsas, um, a variety of them are very good to use on top of a salad. You know, it's funny you should say so that. that's because a great I, suggestion. I, 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 yeah, no, it's, it's a fabulous suggestion. No, I, wanna, I definitely want to talk about that because I've heard uh, bad things about tomatoes. And it's interesting that in Italian yeah. cuisine, the tomato was peasant food. The the uh, the Romans didn't eat tomatoes; they, they were horrified. It would be like uh, you know whatever obnoxious you know food out there today <laughs> that you don't want to eat because it's junk, right. it's garbage. You know you know that, that's the Romans considered right. tomatoes to be to be garbage. So it's, if you get the real Italian cuisine, it doesn't have tomatoes in it. It's only later that uh, you know pasta, you know, and tomatoes, you know, peasant food. <laughs> that's how it came about. Of course, Americans right. adopt everybody right. else's well, peasant food. That's what we do here. You know, pa- chow mein. But the um... Yeah. The uh, the tomatoes are most of the time very high in acid, 
And and now mm-hmm. they say low acid, right? Think about low acid. How can you make a low acid tomato? Well, first of all, it's genetically modified. So exactly. you have to be so careful, mm-hmm. you know, if you say, well, I'll just buy low acid tomatoes. Well, how do you get low acid tomatoes, right? You create them. It's almost like grapes. How do you buy grapes without seeds, you know? Um, and, you know, my daughter loves grapes. Firstly, I think grapes are a pain in the ass because I have to cut them and then I have to pick up <laughs> seeds and the whole nine yards. But, you can buy seedless. Uh, but they're probably yes, genetically but then they're modified. They're modified. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. It, it, gotcha. that's, the, that's the whole point. I, I yeah. prefer to have my grapes in, in a liquid form in wine, but that's just me. Um. Exactly. No, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm with you right there. Well, actually, grape juice I hear has a lot of the same nutritional properties as wine. Yeah, resveratrol risk, and all the good things. Right. Right. Yeah. As long as we take out, as long as we take out all those sulfates and those sort of things, like we just we discussed you know, before, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so you got, you got to watch because if you buy, what do you say? A healthier alternative, which we think is healthy. It's really not because it's been genetically modified. So yeah. you have but to you be counter super it, careful. It's like, well, we talked about this. Huh? You can counter an acid. You can counter the acid in tomatoes. Instead of buying low acid tomatoes, what you buy yeah. is a food that counters it. Now do avocados, are they more basic? Would, would a, would an avocado right. counter the acid in a tomato, for example? I mean, I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't know. I, I think it can to a certain extent, but it depends okay. on the acid in the tomato. Mm-hmm. You know, a, you know, yellow mm-hmm. tomato versus a red tomato. Versus, I mean, think about how many millions, uh, not millions, but, tell, you know, hundreds of types of tomatoes there are. There. I don't even know how many there are. You know, even when mm-hmm. you go to buy your plants, how many different plants of tomatoes there are. And I'm like, seriously? Where did all these come from? They've got the seeds. They have to be genetically modified. How do you get seedless? No, not necessarily. No, we, we, we used to have much more diversity in our products. Like there used to be in this country about 140 species of apple. That was common, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were regional. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'd have apples from Washington State, apples from Oregon, you know, apples from uh, Minnesota and Michigan, and apples from New England, right. and they're all different. You had about 140 species right. of apple, but in industry, you know, economies of scale, they brought it down to like six. <laughs> You know, so we've lost a lot of our yeah. species of apple, except in local local orchards. You know, they still have those seeds. Yeah. They're not genetically modified. They're actually modified to bring them down to six. You know, those that are most successful on a conveyor belt. Tomatoes are bred to be able to travel down a conveyor belt. They're not bred for taste. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why they're thicker skin. Mm. You know, so so the best tomatoes right. at the farmer's market that don't travel down a conveyor belt, um, that aren't genetically modified, but I've heard tomatoes are bad for you anyway. And I've forgotten why. It's yeah. not just the acid, but the things in tomato. I, th- I think I don't know if they have lectins. We should talk about lectins and leaky gut. There's lectins. Um, there's lectins in the yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. Now I'm grain free. I don't eat wheat, barley. You know, I have like one bagel a week. That's that's about it. So just as you say, I don't eliminate completely, but my intake of grains. You know, I used to have my shredded wheat every day, and I used to have uh, bread in my sandwich every day, and I don't do any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, no. so that's all gone. No. Yeah. You know, my daughter gets on me, so we buy, um, I buy Ezekiel bed bread for her, and I mean, uh-huh. it's maybe twice a week that she uses bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I buy some of the cauliflower that actually just have cauliflower, and there's like four ingredients in them, like a, a wrap. So mm-hmm. there's are things that you can, you know, get and use. And then a couple of the other ones, obviously we know fried foods are really, really bad. Um, we know corn and soy, um, unless you know 200% for sure, they are organic and not GMO. 
Um, right. Corn and soy are a no, no-no because of all – I mean, they're the top two genetically modified, you know, foods on the on the planet. I don't think there and is. That's the, Unless it's local, is there any, you know, local – is there any corn that isn't genetically modified at this point unless it's local and it has not been? I don't been? think so. Okay. And I even don't the think so, but you can find those labels. You can find right. those labels that say that, but do I believe them? No, I don't. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then and of soy. course the other. Um, I wouldn't trust any exactly. soy product. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and then of course the other, and it's funny because years ago, um, you know, they used to the doctors, whatnot, um, OBs mm-hmm. used to recommend soy to women for certain reasons. It was all about soy. The rage was the soy. Eat the fermented? soy. Fermented. Eat the soy. Eat the soy. Or not um, fermented? Because fermented I, soy. Oh, well, like tofu. Think, Tofu's uh, terrible. Yeah. Don't yeah. be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Right. So um, anyway, so huh. those two definitely, and then okay. meats with nitrates. I mean, like the subway meats, the deli meats, all the things that you. Now we're not talking about fresh tuna fish or fresh chicken salad. We're talking about actual lunch meat because 95% of all the lunch meats have had nitrates sprayed on them, put in them to make them look a certain color. Pepperoni. Your pepperoni pizza. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it's so, so bad. Um, so those are definitely, you know, some things to look look into. And using a lot of spices and salting your food with the correct um Do we need salt? It's always a good idea. Do we get idea enough salt in our diet? You know, because I know too much salt causes high blood pressure. And and you can drink right. water to counteract the salt. But then if you have too much salt in your body, your body's going to keep a lot of water to counteract the salt. So the salt's still mm-hmm. the problem unless, until it gets rid of the salt. Uh, it, do we right. need salt or do we get enough just in natural foods? Yeah. I, think any reason to, I think we need it. I think okay. we need it. Like a lot of times when I'm working with fit, fitness clients, you know, athletes mm-hmm. and stuff, I'll tell right. them besides like a pre-workout, if they don't want to buy a pre-workout or something beforehand, drink warm water with salt in it, you know, hmm. a half an hour to an hour before you work out. And it does wonders for your muscles. And I always recommend like a sea salt or a pink Himalayan sea salt, you know. What does it um, do? For, <clears throat> it just floods your body with all the things that it needs. There's, there's a lot of properties in salt, specifically pink Himalayan sea salt, and the absorption rate of minerals is high in mineral content. So um, it will help your muscles respond and recover and receive oxygen better. Okay. So, um, I pers- so I think we need the right type of salt in, in our diet. You know, I, I think it's one of those things, think about what I just said about the soy, right? Years ago, mm-hmm. soy was recommended to a lot of, lot of women. I just think these are one of the things. We went yeah, oak I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember it. Yep. I think it's one of those things where, mm. well, two years from now, three years from now, there'll be a different study on salt. You know, but there, there's, there's, man, there's salt most people use as the white salt, with, you know what I mean, the Morton's regular salt. I don't use that. that. I have it here on my phone. No. I have mm-hmm. it here because the only thing we use it for is if we get a sore throat, we will gargle with that salt water. You okay. know, we'll use, we'll use that to gargle. Well, it's got iodine. Gargle with peroxide. 
Isn't that the only yeah. reason for salt is the iodine? And, and don't foods have yeah. iodine? I know kelp does, but I don't, I don't tend to eat a lot of kelp, <laughs> you know, which is seaweed. I don't either. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so what foods for us, for us Western people, you know, I mean, uh, Asian folks eat a lot of seaweed, which is cool. But if you're, if you're, not, uh, right. if you're not a big seaweed, you know, diner, what, what's, where, where can we get our iodine from then? Yeah, and that's, that's another good point for a whole other topic. topic. A lot of okay. people do the iodine, iodine drop. I mean, I have iodine drops here where you do iodine drops. If you're depleted in iodine, you can do a dot like on your wrist, you know, for the absorption. So that's okay. a very, very good question, and that's something that should be, people should, we'll that people should know. Yeah, yeah but yeah. as far as um, using hip <laughs> um, salt, you know, you should use, be using pink Himalayan or, or sea salt and putting salt on your on your food. I would say commercial, okay. <laughs> commercial salt could contribute to some, to some health challenges. There are certain salts that are, you know, good for you that most people don't get. Yeah, I think the sea salt's good. And I see a lot of uh, salmon, so that's got, you know, natural organic because they're in the ocean. <laughs> so there's the, the salt in the yeah. meat. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, pineapple salsa for a minute because you mentioned salsas. If we don't, I don't think the tomato salsa is that good for you. So, so I actually bought some, haven't yeah. had any for a while. Throw it on the, throw it on the eggs. It's wonderful. Um, but the salsas, the idea of a cold salsa that's fresh, that has an expiration date, as opposed to your ranch dressing, which can last for several years. <laughs> Check right. the dates on those folks. They're, they're, they're you know, right. they're, they're made stable, as they say. Not as much as a Twinkie, but, you know, they still got a good shelf life. Um, but if you go for salsas, I think you're really onto something there. I'm going to try that because I, I make a like a salmon salad mixture with, with celery and onions and garlic and a uh, little curry powder uh-huh. with the turmeric and, you know, various little salad dressings and mustards and, you know, even throw a little barbecue sauce in because I am kind of crazy. Um, but it's great. <laughs> you know, so, and I have uh, my yeah. uh, apple cider vinegar, a little bit of that, too, which gives a little tang. So anyway, but uh, but yeah. I think the pineapple salsa, as opposed to the salad dressings, you know, the last vestige of my my holdovers with the not so good food, um, that sounds like a really viable option. Yeah, and I think, like I said, the more people play around with spices mm-hmm. and herbs and different things, you're going to find that mm-hmm. there's certain things that you really don't need. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you can find things that taste good that you don't have to buy, you know, in a jar. But like I said, I, you know, I have been a proponent of, you know, the, the primal brand because I do read everything. But, you know, mm-hmm. I would say 80% of stuff does have – oh, sorry. That was my dog that screamed. I am yeah, so we, sorry. we can hear. Your dog's now on the show. Oh, my gosh. That's fine. What would you do? Step on the dog's tail or what? Yeah, no, I didn't step on the dog's dog tail. She's just a, she's only two pounds, and so sometimes she just squeals. Oh, okay. um, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, using as few things as you can from a bottle is, right. is, is, is a good thing. And one other thing before, because I will have to go just because I'm getting ready to head out of town, but it's okay. a big sugar topic. You know, this, yeah. this week of, uh, that's a really big thing. And, you know, even the products that you think are healthy, you know, like I just bought some really good stuff at Aldi uh, the other day, and I got them, and I noticed it had erythritol in it, and I was like, crap, which? I got to bring it back. What is it? So, it's, I can, I mean, I'm going to tell you, because I'm going to get the package, and I'm going to read it to you, to you. There was a big yeah. study about... Where is it here? Erythritol. 
erythritol. And there was a big article, Mm, if ever anybody has seen about it this this week, it's a sugar, and I'm, you know, it it was a really, really big big deal. I'll send it to you, and you can put it up on your your page or whatever. Okay, sure. um, But, you know, like I put to, like, in my coffee, um, I use a lot of coconut sugar, you know, coconut, a lot of coconut stuff. Here mm-hmm. in my in my house because I feel so far I haven't heard anything contradictory about that coconuts are good. So. <laughs> I've heard coconuts are good too, I, so yeah. I, I think I think you're good. I think you're good there. <laughs> <laughs> or just a nut like the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, just a just just a nut. But but yes, yeah, so I plan on digging into some more of these uh, things that I mentioned because I found them very very interesting and I'd like to dig you know into the science of them. So. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, but I will so look forward to coming back next week. Thank you again for having okay. me on today. Oh, no problem. So you're you're hitting the road for a while. So so tell us stories from where you go. Yeah. Regional foods are always yeah. interesting. Regional, you know, curious. We should if if you get to the Amish country, I mean, it's always fun to talk to those folks and what they're doing. So we, yeah. we could do like Amish yeah. Amish remedies or Amish health, you know, that kind of stuff. So feel free if you're in the area uh, or just talk about it anyway. Some days I wish I was just an Amish woman, but um, mm-hmm. I'm not quite that good of a girl. <laughs> Yeah, until you need a dental work. <laughs> you know, right? They might be a little different then, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, yeah, so we will be in touch, and I hope everybody got a couple little new little tidbits today. And oh, I look forward to being back next Thursday. Yeah, this is fun. This is, I love our chats. It's great fun. So all these things that we get to experiment with, because I know a little bit. I know enough to ask you a bunch of questions, and I think that's that's really key to it. And you know all the, the things that I need, don't know, so it's Works out well. So have a wonderful trip. Yeah. So think about uh, any that any information you want to give? What's that now? Yeah, I'm saying think about that when you're having your carbonated beverages. You know, like if you're in an area where you go mow the grass and then you have a beer or whatever, just make mm-hmm. sure you're having a, having your beer or your, you know, your carbonated beverage, you know, one or two hours before you eat. So <laughs> what well, is beer you can't carbonated? Have them. It's a combination. Wait a minute, beer's not Some carbonated. Beers are carbonated. It is some carbonated. Beers are carbonated. You mentioned beers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought they were natural. I thought There's the ferment- beers, fermentation okay. process produced the uh, the bubbles yep. in beer. Yeah, the conversation I was having uh, with the naturopath doctor said even, even beers, um, things like huh. like that. You know, unless it's something flat or not, or water or lemon water or electrolyte drink. You know, so just you know, have them okay, if we'll you talk, want to in moderation. We'll talk beer next just week. Just don't have them with food. Yeah, that sounds good. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. There we go. h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Sounds good. Yes, sir. All right. You Thank guys you, have CJ. a great day. Have a great uh-huh. trip. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. This is a fun day. <laughs> I've enjoyed today. Uh, I, again, I'm still a little, gr- you know, a little, little exhausted from yesterday, but it was worth it. So I had a, a great video with uh, Santa Rosa Community Theater. It's on my Facebook page. Um, for stuff that CJ sends me, I put it at the Action Radio Life and Health Coaching page. Um, and so different, sometimes other pages, depending on what's going on. I did find something for her, which I'll, I'll post in a little bit. Uh, Chem Guide, you know, core chemistry on acid plus carbonate plus salt plus CO2 plus water. Um, so we actually, uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's like the carbonation process. So I, I found some scientific stuff. So we'll do go over that too. Um, tomorrow we've got tomorrow. tomorrow's Friday. So we've got, um, 
who have we got? We got Candace, uh, cowgirl Candace. We'll talk horses and life uh, with her, and that's about it. I don't think I have anything anybody else scheduled. Our, our regular reporters have all taken off. Oh, of course, Derek Park. I'm sorry. So Derek with the financial report. So show starts at 7 a.m. Central. Derek Park is on at 7:30. Then I have the eight to nine hour for whatever I feel like doing. Nine o'clock hour, we've got uh, cowgirl Candace, and we will go from there. That should make for a really interesting Friday. It's going to be fun. Looking for another reporter for Friday. Looking for another one for today, for Wednesday also. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I've got three reports open. I've got three hours uh, that I can have uh, folks that can come on and do stuff. And so we'll see. We'll just fill out the show and go from there. Um, as far as news, we've got uh, Brandon Strackers coming next week, next Tuesday. Uh, hashtag walkaway. And so it's going to be fascinating to talk to him. Uh, as someone who's disillusioned with the Democrat Party, probably doesn't want to join the Republican Party, and probably will be very in favor of what I want to do, which is get rid of both parties. Certainly for people who are elected office. And the parties can exist privately. You know, anybody has freedom of association. That's, that's freedom. I just don't think anybody who's in elective office should belong to a political party. Because it really screws up representing us um, because the people end up re- representing the party. And so it's actually, in, in many ways, I think it's unconstitutional to belong to a party. But we'll talk about that, too. So next week's a big week. We've got other guests coming. We've got uh, a bunch of plans. Uh, Diane uh, Warner has a guest for Wednesday. I'll tell you more about that as, uh, as I learned more myself. Uh, it's going to be an exciting week. So we've got tomorrow, and we'll get through that, and then we'll see what other um, things go. But if you, if you have any ideas, like I said, where we started the show, you know, who's going to be the first to sing like a canary? <laughs> you know, who's going to spill the beans? Who is it going to come from the climate change bull? Is it going to come from uh, the, the Department of Justice, the whistleblowers, the FBI whistleblowers? Is it going to come from, uh, I don't know, uh, somebody with the election fraud who's going to say, yep, it's all fraud. It's a uh, total fraud. Uh, is it going to be from any of the things that we talked about? So the, the big things... Oh, See, my phone's ringing, but I'm not going to answer it because I'm on the air, okay? So just wait. I'll get to you later. Uh, so here are the big events. COVID, January 6th, the stolen election, Ukraine, the DOJ, KGB, climate change, and wokeism. Those are the seven deadly conspiracies um, of the government. And the question is, who's going to sing like a canary to tell us all the things that they did wrong? And, and we'll get them exposed because they don't want to go to jail. That's what's going to happen. They're going to sing like a canary so they don't go to jail. All right, a couple things to play. I've got my musical selection for today, this being Thursday. I'm going to play for Thursday. Uh, oh, that's what I play for Thursday. Sounds good. All right, so I'll play a couple more things here. And then let's get to our ending. And again, seven o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, Central Time. Uh, I will uh, Central Time USA because <laughs> we broadcast worldwide. Uh, let's see, I'm, I'm stalling because I'm looking for something here. Uh, and where is it? Ah, here we go. Did I play that already? I think I did play that one already. But I think I played all this stuff. All right, that's fine. Let's go right to our, our what I call the surf promo, and then our musical selection. So this will this will kick you into high gear, get you going for your for your day, and back again tomorrow. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That 
is Action Radio. And just to remind you once again, the show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My Substack with all my articles, I'll have another one out today, gregpenglis.substack.com. And our contribution site is givesendgo.com slash actionradio. If you miss any of that, just play the podcast back, back again tomorrow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.